Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian-formulated solutions, like their Cat Attract Litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box, or their best-selling Ultra Litter made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit drlcs.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. That way we can let in Sweet Bill WD-40. He'll lube us up for tonight's show. And where are we? Terry Hall. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Sensational Sherry. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. He'll be back for the Cryptid Report tonight. Super Duke. Super Duke. Kira, thank you so much for that awesome super chat. Very much appreciate your love and support of SOR. Thank you. Doug Shelby is here. The Doug Shelby has arrived, which means we can officially start this show. And who else is here? Let's take a look. Uh, Dutch UFO is here. He'll be signing autographs after the show as well. Line up to the right of the studio, if you don't mind, to the ninth uh, right of the studio. Midwest Night Watchers, how you doing? No, well, Noble Patrick, it's been a few days. Good to see you, my man. And uh, we are caught up. For right now, we are caught up. The rest of you will get your names typed in. Uh, Chris Holm, thank you so much for that awesome super chat, my man. And cannot wait to see you in Vegas once again. We got to hang out and we'll have some fun as we did last year. Okay, besides the super chat, you can get some really cool swag at spacedoutradio.com. We got some great stuff there for you. Uh, Nikki in Seattle, nice to see you. Right now, everyone, it is that time to put your horns up. Let's rock. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at YouTube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old navy the favor hit that subscribe button you can follow us on twitter at spaced out radio instagram at spaced out radio show and on tiktok at spaced out radio our website spacedoutradio.com we have a plethora of features for you rock out to bubblefoot read shirky poo's newswire check out our swag as well tonight's show is brought to you by chive charities help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. All right. We got a power show for you tonight. We're heading to Australia. Attila Kaldi is here. We are going to be talking about the Yowie. We're going to talk UFOs. Dogman down under? Apparently so. We'll get to it momentarily. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Then Super Duke comes on in for the cryptid report. It's Dave 101 night, and Shirky Poo will have the news. 
Sydney, Australia's based freelance filmmaker Attila Kaldi first began projects in the early 2000s with a short documentary film based on UFO encounters. Since then, he has been involved in over 20 different media projects, mostly covering different aspects of the unexplained. His recent project, Tracking the Lore, is a sequel to his previous documentary film, Track, Search for Australia's Bigfoot. We have never, ever done, in almost eight years of this show, a story on Yowies. And I am very much looking forward to this one. You know, there are very few topics out there that get me excited, but this one does. And I am very proud to have Attila Caldi here all the way from Australia. First off, Attila, how's tomorrow looking? Am I alive tomorrow? Please let me know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that one, Dave. <laughs> I guess you will be. Yes, made it to another day. You know, we actually get a lot of Australian listeners in our chat room. And and one guy, Steam Train Mark is his name. Every time he comes into his ch- our chat room, I'm asking him, hey, am I alive in the future? Am I alive tomorrow? You know, and he's like, you're still here, man. So I know I've made it another day. I will know exactly when I die before it actually happens. Because Australia is so far ahead of me here in British Columbia. I love it. Love it. <laughs> Only time-wise, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Attila, thank you so much for coming on this show and, and spending your afternoon with us for a couple of hours here. Because I, I am just fascinated with Australia. I can pretty much guarantee, due to the shark population, that I will never visit your country. Okay, because I have a deathly fear of sharks. But nonetheless, uh, you know, you live in a in a very hostile land where it seems like everything there wants to kill you. I don't know how you do it, but you do. I mean, you can't even say hi to a butterfly without it trying to chew your hair off. You know, I mean, it's terrible there. Well, Dave, let me tell you one thing. It's not that bad, really. I mean, the only we have very small things out here that can certainly pack a bunch. But um, I mean, we don't have, well, we don't have bears here or any large critters here that want to hunt you down, unless you're up north uh, where you've got crocodile issues. But apart from that, it's it's relatively safe here. You just need to know the terrain well and need to know the uh, your critters well too, the smaller ones. That is. Oh my goodness! I'll tell you, I live in bear country. All right, grizzly mm. bears, black bears, mountain lions, and I, I will deal with them over anything that you have there. Anything. Really? That's I, interesting. I, am, I am not going swimming in any piece of water. I won't even go in a tub in Australia because you never know if all of a sudden a bull shark is going to all of a sudden appear in your tub, you know, and, yeah. and start chewing no, your leg yeah. off. No, I hear we do have a uh, substantial shark population here, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't particularly like going into the ocean myself. So uh, I'm a ground dwelling animal, so <laughs> I prefer to have my feet on solid ground. I agree. I agree. Mm. My, my friend, how did you get involved with all this weird and strangeness? I know it started back in 1999 for you, but what really captivated you about all of this? Well, look, uh, I, my childhood was was um, quite an interesting one, and I think it, it kind of spiraled from there. Um, one of my first memories I had uh, was a was a ghostly encounter in an old Victorian style place uh, where my parents and I lived over in Bathurst, which is about two hundred and fifty kilometres um, west of Sydney. 
And um, it was an old rental place, but um, one night I was sick. I was only a little kid, probably about eight or nine years old. And uh, I was in the darker part of the house and uh, from a dark corner, lo and behold, came an old lady and she was dressed in um, a period outfit, probably just sort of trying to remember back, probably late sort of 19th, early 20th century outfit. And then this fellow came out with a top hat and um, they sort of stood there and stared at me. And I I, I recall having such fear that, um, yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced such fear in my life uh, as a child like then. So um, they walked away and and that's how all this began. It just kind of spiralled there because I did spend some years in Europe and I had some encounters there too. Um, And I had a plethora of encounters here in Australia. So I, I actually decided to uh, to uh, create a civilian uh, UFO research group uh, with a, a colleague of mine at the time, we were amateur astronomers, and um, and that's how that kind of started. So I ran that for about 10 years. But um, in between that, um, I started, um, well, of filmmaking was always a part of my life, but I guess that kind of steered me in the direction uh, where I should be going with with content. So that's basically how it all began. So you've lived a paranormal life. And, you know, it always seems that people who start off paranormal always end up in the cryptid and UFO world down mm-hmm. the line. How did you make that mm-hmm. transition? What started that? Well, that was in- interesting because um, back around 2007, although I did have an experience before, but I think the catalyst was around 2007, we were, the group and I were on an expedition and we were going to an isolated part in the Blue Mountains, Sydney's Blue Mountains. And um, we set up camp and we had a perfect vantage point uh, looking for unidentified flying objects because that area is, is known to be quite active with UFO uh, uh, encounters. So one of, the, one, of the, um, one of our key motivations was to actually find uh, some kind of trace evidence, uh, even if we were able to document it with a camera or find some kind of you know physical trace evidence on the ground that these things are actually hanging around a specific region. So that's basically what we were doing. And one night... While we were perched on the edge of this this outcrop, and we didn't have any overhang or anything like that, this is a, a, a pure outcrop, a rocky outcrop that overlooks what's known as the Baragrang Valley, and um, we had this massive rock thrown at us, and it almost hit one of our colleagues. So we went and looked around, and obviously there was nobody there because this is real reasonably isolated. You you kind of bush bash for a little while before you get there. So the following day, we went um, and had a look around to see if we can find any any kind of evidence of, of, of whatever was, was hanging around at the time. And the two ladies that stayed back behind, uh, back at camp, uh, they were on the edge of this outcrop. Now, you have to understand that there's like a 30 or 40 metre vertical drop from where that outcrop is before you land on top of some trees. And then it keeps going on and on and on. Well, a rock was thrown from beneath them somewhere. Um, and fell uh, onto the actual outcrop itself. So in order for someone to throw a rock, um, you know, 30 or 40 metres or even more, 
uh, would need substantial strength to do that. <laughs> so, and there's nobody there. This is a, 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 a this is a water catchment area, so you're not even allowed down there. Um, and we're on the fringes of, of all that, so where you can go, where you can't go. So they radioed back to us and said, look, you know, we've got rocks being thrown at us from underneath and we don't know what the hell we're dealing with here. So we came back and we were debating up until 5 o'clock. Now, this was in September, which is early spring in Australia. So we decided to pack up in the last minute and leave because people were fearing their safety. So by nightfall, we had our backpacks packed and we were walking out through the fern forest and lo and behold, something was actually following us. Now, there was two because this what you, what you have to understand is that as we're walking, these things were paralleling us in the bush and they weren't subtle in any shape or form. They really wanted us to know that there was something massive there. And I always use this analogy, but it was almost like walking side by side with a bulldozer going through the trees and through the bush. And these things were hitting the trees and everything. And we paced ourselves. And I guess a lot of us, including myself, thought, well, this is it. This is, we're not going to make, we were too far away from the trail. Uh, first of all, we're not going to make make this out alive. No way in hell. So, we're, yeah, I think a lot of us were, were trying to, um, I guess, accept the fact that this was our last journey. Uh, and it got so intense that one of the guys actually collapsed. Um, he was he was obviously hyperventilating. He was having an anxiety attack. So we had to actually carry him out while these things were were pursuing us. And finally, we we got to the track in one piece and uh, managed to to call for help. So whatever they were, they were hurting us out. And obviously, we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's where the transition happened. It was quite a, a significant encounter um, with what what we would, I guess, refer to as Yowies because there was nothing else in the Australian wilderness that could potentially have that mass. I mean, you can feel the ground vibrate under your, under your feet as these things made their way through the bush. So it was quite an interesting encounter and that kind of led me uh, towards uh, towards the whole cryptid scene later on in the years. How much fun do you have with the cryptid world? Because I don't, I'm, I, I'm not a researcher, but there is a, no. something very, very awesome about heading into my local forest, which is literally about 10 minutes away, and driving into its depths and looking for Sasquatch. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy getting out there and, and being part of the action and and just for that slight, slight one in a million chance that you might see something? Oh, absolutely, always. I think it's a, it's a remarkable experience because we're ultimately dealing with with um, you know unknown hominids that that uh, we haven't sort of classified yet. We don't know where they're from, where they evolved from. We can only guess. A lot of us can only guess. Um, I, the people that I know who have had direct contacts uh, have been um, First Nation elders here in Australia. So, um, and they do tell stories. I've learned a lot from from elders uh, here. And um, I've recently, well, they actually do appear in the, the documentary that I've recently finished. But um, there's a lot to be learned from these guys. And, and there's a purpose that they serve. And, and the purpose was that they were the guardians of the land. Now, the 
the Indigenous people of Australia will tell you, especially the elders will tell you, that there was this, this inherent agreement between both the Indigenous people and the so-called Yowies of Australia. Now, we do have two types here. We have the larger version, which on the East Coast, they refer to them as the Dooligar, and they're very similar to the Bigfoot and the Sasquatch um, in North America. So they're quite large, quite substantial. You know, some claim to have seen eight, ten maybe even larger animals, up to 10 or 12 foot tall even. And then we have the the Junjadi, which are, or further down south, they refer to them as the Wadagadal. And they're little folks. They're only about three, three and a half foot tall, um, very nimble um, and very, very intelligent. They're very cheeky too. So uh, they'll actually, some people up here in the Blue Mountains that I know uh, have had things stolen by these little fellas because they find shiny things are quite attractive and they will go for them. So uh, we do have those. But look, um, I do find it amazing going out there. And every time I go out there, I always learn something new because I think many of us forget to sort of stand and observe where we are and read the signposts and look around and just appreciate where we are in nature. Um, there's there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be read because um, I think that I think that adds to the excitement, that adds to our knowledge uh, and connection to, 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 these, uh, to these creatures, to the forest folk. Wow. Wow. I mean, uh, up here they call them little people. The First Nations call them little people that run around the forest, and they are cheeky little tricksters that you don't want to upset. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So for for the hunt on the of, of the Yowie, which we are going to get into a lot in the next half hour, did you believe in this creature? Did you believe it was out there? The sightings that that um, both the indigenous and you know other people had had talked about in their own personal experiences? Absolutely, Dave. Look, I, I've always believed that uh, that uh, Bigfoot and Yowies and, and um, uh, forest folk like that exist because, well, I guess my first connection was with this is when I was a child. It was a uh, an American documentary back in the 70s that I watched and that was focused on on Bigfoot, largely on Bigfoot. And when I first watched it, I remember I was absolutely fascinated. So I, I always appreciated and, and understood that these these forest folk do exist and live out there. I mean, our Indigenous people all around the world all have stories about them. So uh, there's a correlation between these stories as well. So, um, you know, every, almost every single country around the world has their own have their own version of Bigfoot or the Yowies. So um, for me, there was there was no doubt whatsoever. I think it was more to do with the understanding of a lot of the theories and, and how some people came to those conclusions, um, more so than actually believing that they exist. Really? So is, is it a popular creature in Australia? You know, Bigfoot up here, ha or Sasquatch more so in in western part of Canada and Canada in general, uh, you know, it, it, it has legendary status. It has, mm. you know, there's a lot of people who just whiff it off like it is some sort of, of majestic uh, folklore. But we have people out there, myself included, who have seen this creature, experienced what it's like to to see it, and are firmly believing there is some giant monster 
uh, living in the forest. I mean, is it the same way down there with the Yowie, or is the Yowie more culturalized and popular? Explain that to me. That's a really good question because I think that uh, of what I understand in Canada and in in, in America in general, I think that uh, people are now accepting the fact that uh, the Bigfoot does exist and Sasquatch does exist. Um, in Australia, I think that it's still a, a taboo topic, um, not amongst the, the First Nation people, so not amongst the Indigenous people here. Um, there are there is a monument up in Queensland uh, that's that, that basically is a, a giant yowie. I think it's carved out of wood. Um, so yeah, th- there are there are areas here in Australia more so up in Queensland than in New South Wales that that have embraced that whole idea that you know the yowies do exist and are part of our uh, our ecosystem. Um, so yeah, it's a, still largely a taboo. Um, I mean. Yeah, it's it's funny because I've actually spoken to a few people over the years, and they've asked me, you know, well, you know, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a you know independent filmmaker, and they'll ask you, well, you know, what do you make films of? And I said, well, the recent one was was based on the Australian Bigfoot, and then most of the times I'll get the end or the the question, oh, hey, I didn't even know there's an Australian Bigfoot. Is there an Australian Bigfoot? I said, well, you've heard of the word Yowie, haven't you? Oh, that's right, yeah. So that's the type of sort of uh, status that it has here in society. Um, I think that the further out you go, um, the more people have stories of the Yowies. But most of the people are very reserved. They won't tell you that they've had their encounter because um, it's, we're, we're, we're quite a conservative, conservative bunch of people here. So uh, not many people are outspoken when it comes to that topic. Yeah. And you know what? I think a lot of people here, uh, they believe, but they don't want to admit it publicly. There is still a lot of ridicule that goes on with seeing a UFO or admitting you live in a haunted house or seeing Sasquatch or Bigfoot, you know, and a lot of people just do not want the hassle of of explaining what they saw to people. I mean, fear of getting laughed at, mocked, you know, hey, alien guy, if the aliens anal probed you yet. I mean, we get it all around here. I, I You know, there's a lot of mockery, but... Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian-formulated solutions, like their Cat Attract Litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box, or their best-selling Ultra Litter made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit drelsies.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. Did you know that Dr. Elsie's cat litter helps support pets and people in need? Now through February, you can save $3 on select Dr. Elsie's cat litters, and Dr. Elsie's will donate $3 to the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Get your free $3 coupon and learn more about their personal journey with this disease and their commitment to cure cancer at drelsies.com slash coupon. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash coupon. You get someone privately, especially here in Canada, you get somebody privately, they will tell you, yeah, I, I've seen lights in the sky or I, you know, I got chased out of the forest by something that I can't explain. 
You know, I mm. mean, it, it's it's a, still a very private topic for a lot of people. You know, and maybe it's the culture, maybe it's the fact that you know we want to believe here a little bit more. So I don't know. But uh, maybe it's because you got a lot of things that could kill you over there that nothing scares Australians. <laughs> well, look, I honestly think that there's a lot of fear that goes with this because uh, I think you know, um, uh, you know, people, people, some people that I've actually met uh, seem to be caught in the comfort zone, and anything that sort of um, falls outside of that comfort zone is is a threat because they don't know how to adjust themselves to it they don't know how to you know incorporate that into their own belief system so it becomes confusing it becomes scary um because they have very little information about it for starters so it's easier to ridicule something like that than to actually start questioning and start talking about the person who's actually bringing up the topic so um i, I find that it, it I, I do believe that there's a lot of fear there from from people who who don't understand what we're dealing with um but obviously you do have the other side of it where people just outright will deny it regardless how much evidence you will provide uh, it's still, you know, it doesn't belong in their vocabulary. So regardless what you do and, and what the scientific community would do, which I don't think, you know, should matter to us um, because we, I think we have collectively enough evidence out there and why should we, you know, seek scientific validation for something like that when, you know, uh, our Indigenous culture have already embraced it and have stories and cave paintings and, and whatnot about you know connection with these with these animals out there with these creatures. So yeah, I think there's there's largely uh, I think that the the human the way the human mind operates and and and, and I guess um, addresses something like this when you know when they have um, a topic like that thrown at them. Absolutely, we got about thirty seconds left. Uh, is that also including UFOs and and hauntings as well people have the same attitude yeah they do they do uh, i think that um when it comes to hauntings i think that's more accepted i think than than anything else i think the next category would probably fall into the cryptid side of things uh, because a lot of people do have stories here and it doesn't necessarily mean that they've, that they've got stories about yaois but other cryptid like thylacines and so forth but um i, I think you. the ufos are on the bottom of the list you know what? I got to tell you, I still think the thylacine is out there. Yes, I really do believe. And if Steve Irwin believed that it was out there, I believe it too. God bless him. It's got to be true. <laughs> Space Out Radio with Attila Kaldi talking Yowies, Bigfoot, Sasquatch in Australia. Next on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. All right, we're clear. That was a fun first half hour, man. Oh, great. Thanks, mate. I hope I'm providing enough information for you. Oh, yeah. No, it's fantastic. Fantastic. You know, we learned a little bit about you, kind of got into the subjects. You know, it's pretty awesome. Where I live, what's really cool is uh, we have a – I live in a logging community. And, mm. the, you know, like give an example, last Saturday – I walk into the hockey rink and my son's coach uh, comes up to me and he's like, I need to talk with you. He goes, you guys got to get up into my area where we're logging right now because one of the old timers I work with, he won't even go in there. He goes, there's something there. 
there's something wow. there. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And this is like 15 minutes from my house. Hmm. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, it, once, once you talk about logging, um, then guaranteed there's going to be a story there. There's going to be some kind of story there. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, what was funny is I was, uh, uh, the other day I, in my daytime job, I don't normally speak about it, but I had some former clients come in and they'd seen me on a television show up here. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hold on one second. Yes. Yes. Cable guy, Matt is in the house. Remember when you see cable guy, Matt hit him up for your free piece of coaxial cable autographed by cable guy, Matt. You cannot buy these in stores. Ladies and gentlemen, limit one per household, but you could also get your cable guy Matt T-shirt. How cool! How cool is that? Uh, I got today's my day off. Okay, today's That's my day, cool. day off. I'm looking through my closet. I'm like, what am I going to wear today? I put on my cable guy Matt T-shirt, and then I get called into my office on my day off to deal <laughs> with cable guy Matt and one of his things that he needed to do. So it was, oh, a t- I had a great coincidental day with cable guy, Matt. I know he's laughing right now. I know he's laughing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Uh. Oh yeah. It, it's, it's hilarious. Absolutely mm. hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even got his, even one day when I was at work during my daytime, I even got a little sticky note that he left me here. It says CGM was here with a, Drawing of a piece of coaxial cable. <laughs> Just to let you know he was there, right? Yeah. yeah. Man, rub it in. <laughs> he takes good old cable guy, Matt. Everybody's got to have a cable guy on, on speed dial. You know, we do at least. So ca- cable's pretty big over in over in uh, in the Americas there. I mean, cable and satellite's still really big. Um, has, has that sort of continued or has that diminished over time? Uh, a lot of it now is uh, fiber optic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, with Starlink, because we're quite into the boonies here, a lot of people on the outskirts are, are hooked up to Starlink. Mm. Yeah, because I, I saw that um, with the release form that my distributors sent, there's a whole bunch of cable uh, networks and satellite networks that they're uh, airing the the documentary on. So we we don't particularly uh, in Australia we we don't particularly have a lot of that now anymore. Um, it's all sort of digital. Um, we still have a few sort of satellite um, things going on here, but uh, mostly it's all digital now. So that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. You know, mm, mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, cable guy Matt has like an 180 inch television that he watches on in the basement. So, like, I could just imagine the size of my melon on his TV screen. I don't have two chins; I have like 16 chins on his television. Uh, that's awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, Good old fantastic. cable guy Matt. Excuse me. So, so mate, do you do a bit of traveling? Do you actually do on-site uh, reporting? Like, do you no. actually interview people on-site? Not no. When I when I go away, I I uh, go away. 
<laughs> you know, um, you know, like next year I've got two trips planned, uh, one for San Francisco in March for a UFO conference. And then, okay. and then, uh, we have our second annual fan party in Las Vegas in May. And, mm-hmm. uh, that'll be my only traveling for the show next year. But, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to get you to hold on right there for two seconds. I want to say a big thank you to Dirty Filth, Kira, Chris, Thomas, and Louie for the Super Chats tonight. It's a great way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. And so thank you so much for the love and support. Big thank you to everyone who has bought swag at our Spaced Out Radio store and our website recently. And don't forget to give us a thumbs up and hit subscribe. Here we go. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is underway. We're talking Yowies down in Australia. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Documentary filmmaker, researcher Attila Kaldi is coming to us from Australia tonight where we are talking about the legendary Yowie. The Yowie is the equivalent of Bigfoot or Sasquatch here in North America. And believe it or not, it's the first time in nearly eight years of doing this show that we have actually hit up this topic. So I'm very happy, Attila, that you are here to break it on down. Thank you very much, Dave. Appreciate it. Well, let's get into the Yowie here. Uh you know, here in North America, we talk about a creature that stands, you know, at minimum 7 to 10 feet tall, you know, maybe 500, 600 pounds plus, you know, if not bigger, they seem to get bigger the more north in North America that you go. What are we dealing with with the Yowie? Well, it, if, it's a good question, actually, because um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we have the t- two types here that uh, that have been noted and documented. So we have the smaller versions and uh, we also have the larger versions of the Dooligar. However, there is an elusive third version known as the Quinkin. Now, apparently these creatures are very similar to the Yowie, except that they are much, much taller. So um, some um, estimates go from anywhere from 15 to 18 foot tall. So these are, these are your genuine forest giants. Now, I don't know if there's actually been any reports. I know that there was a report in the Blue Mountains, uh, a fellow who spoke of, who was an ex, who was on the AYR, um, Australian Yari Research um, page, and um, they did interview somebody who was a, a former, uh, I think he was a former special ops uh, fellow who uh, was uh, was on an operation in the Blue Mountains here, and he claims that he actually um, saw a 12 to 13 foot tall Yowie there, which could possibly be what we refer to as, like I said, the Quinkin. So um, it's it, it's it's quite interesting because the the Quinkin uh, in uh, Indigenous lore is quite an aggressive and hostile creature. That the Yowie, although they do 
there are some accounts where there has been some violent acts. Um, there, they don't appear to be uh, the type of animal that will, will go, its, go out of its way and actually hunt you down. So um, they are reasonably, how could I put it? It's almost like treading into somebody's home. So it's almost like someone walked into your front door and into your lounge room uninvited, I guess. I guess that's the way we should look at how some of these responses are from the Yowies. Wow. They come hunting you. What's that? Hunting us? I, I swear you said that, you know, that they will come no, hunting you. No, sorry. They don't, they don't um, go hunting for humans specifically. No, 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 nothing like that. Not unless you're in their territory. Um, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, then they will warn you off. Uh, so I do believe that people do get sufficient amount of warnings before things get out of hand a little bit. And I've experienced that um, in the Blue Mountains myself, um, back, I guess, in 2013. Um, and I was actually doing a, a, uh, a short documentary back then. And I actually had my daughter with me, who uh, is actually now in film school. And um, she was she was helping me out with, with the filming process. And we were there with two other people. And we did out say our welcome. Um, the This is quite an area. So you, you're in an area where you don't really get a lot of human activity after dark. It's 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 quite a very very dark area. Um, the you're in you're kind of in a valley. Um, you're on the foothills basically of, of these massive. Well, on the, sorry, on the foot of this massive cliff, and the trees are massive. It's it's almost like a sub, even though it's not, but it's it, it feels like a subtropical uh, forest because you do have large fern trees, you do have large eucalyptus trees, and they basically, in, in certain areas, they do encompass the sky, so they don't let a lot of light in. But there came a time when when we started hearing things moving around us in, in the pitch black, and uh, we were probably about 20 or 30 metres away from, from the nearest trail, and they kept closing in. And I thought, well, an encounter is imminent because they are so close that it's it's got to happen. Um, and we're flocking together because it was it was getting quite intimidating. But we couldn't see them. That was the interesting part. We couldn't see them. So they obviously camouflaged themselves and their movements quite well. And every time the wind blew, the movement started happening. So when everything quietened down, we sat down and waited to see what the next move was going to be on their end. And all of a sudden, rocks started flying towards us. Small rocks. And then a large rock landed right next to me. And then we had these big uh, big sticks being thrown through the trees or like missiles. And we thought, no, this is it. We've got to get out of here before someone gets hit and hurt or injured severely. So um, as we were making our way out, uh, I could, we could hear this because there's so much. And you have to understand this area is, is there's so much debris on the ground that it actually creates its own layer. So you have quite a thick layer of debris there of, of old you know, leaves and, and bark and whatnot. So when you start thumping the ground, it actually feels hollow. <clears throat> so this creature, whatever it was, it must have been big, but it started displaying a, a, a warning sign or started displaying its aggression towards us and basically just telling us to look, leave because you are unwanted here. And it started thrashing its, oh I guess it, 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 its hands, like a silverback gorilla does, started thumping the ground, it was so loud, you can actually feel the movement under the un, under your feet. And it was still a little way away from us. So, And it started throwing debris up in the air, and you can hear it. 
it was almost like what a gorilla would actually do. And, and that, that's that's how interesting this was because all of a sudden you could say, hey, I've seen this before on television when a gorilla is, is either bluff charging or is actually creating warning signs for an intruder to go away because you're coming too close to my troop. So <clears throat> as we were making our way out, we were being, basically, we were being um, outflanked on both sides. We could hear, on the lower end, we could hear movement following us or bipedal. And on the higher end, where this 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 larger creature was thumping the ground, he was following us too. And I, I dare say it was he because it did display a, a silverback-like characteristics by thumping the ground. So we were escorted out and they followed us all the way until we actually got to what's known as the Golden Staircase in the Blue Mountains. So if, if anyone's online, they can actually type in Golden Staircase, Blue Mountains. It actually links up to what's known as Federal Pass. So once we got to the Golden Staircase, which largely is, is a natural, um, well, not natural, but it's actually been carved out, but they'd have the national parks have actually put in some metal stairs to aid, you know, the higher climbs because it's, it's basically going up the side of this cliff, right? Um, and it wasn't until we started walking up this golden staircase did they back off and leave us be. So that was quite an interesting encounter. And it did it does sound very hostile and it does sound very aggressive, but it was for good reason. You know, um, it's, we were obviously in the wrong place again at the wrong time. They could have been hunting. They could have had young ones there. They could have had their family there. We don't know. Um, but all we knew is that we had to get out of there because someone was going to get injured. Yeah, and, and it does come down to safety first when you're around these creatures because you, because you just don't know. Did did it ever show itself to you? Well, that's a funny thing. See, I had my little Sony um, night vision camera with me, and I was panning left to right um, quite vigorously to see if I could see something. I was zooming in and out, but we that's the thing, Dave. We could not see them. Uh, they were so well camouflaged. It's almost like, I guess, if you have... People with with a uh, with a ghillie suit, and they call them yowie suits here in Australia. Um, people, somebody with a ghillie suit, and if they start moving around, they blend in so well, especially if they're motionless. You won't see them. You think that it, that that part or, or what you're seeing there, your eyes will skip because it thinks, oh, it, this is part of the 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 whole um, the, the fauna there. The, so the flora over there. So it's part of the shrubbery, part of the bush. Um, so you wouldn't you wouldn't even think to sort of stop. And observe because these creatures, and I've heard this from 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 even from indigenous people, is that they have the ability to stand so still, and especially that their fur is very similar to that of the Australian bush. They have the ability to stand so still that their lack of movement actually creates this invisibility factor, and we we will actually look at it, but our eyes or our brain won't acknowledge that that is actually. Well, it's a creature that doesn't belong there. It does belong there, but the way we perceive our environment, they don't belong there. You know, it's not normal to see something like that. So our eyes will skip past that thinking, oh, that's just part of the bush. So we'll keep going and scanning around. And I believe that actually what, what's actually happened to us. I think that we we may have inadvertently spotted them, but we didn't acknowledge that, that their presence or the visual aspect of it. So... Um, yeah, and, and I think that that largely adds to the fact that people will say, oh, look, I've been hiking, you know, in the bush for 20 or 30 years and I haven't seen anything. But that's because, mate, you're not observant. That's the reason why, you know. You don't stand still and, and you don't sort of sit still or, or stop for a moment and observe the environment, you know. A, a lot of people you'll see hiking in the bush will have their earphones in and, and just go for a jog and that's it. You know, they're not enjoying 
the environment that they're in, that they're supposed to be in. They're supposed to be getting away from the hustle and bustle of the city, right? Um, but they're not doing that. They're, we live in a noisy environment, so both visually and both auditory noise, so audibly noisy environment. So naturally for us to actually come down to that level to be actually see things in the bush, we need to drop the noise factor ourselves. Oh, definitely. Definitely so. Now, this creature that is being spotted that you guys call the Yahweh, is it as large as a Sasquatch here in North America? Is Does it have the same fur traits? Is it more aggressive than, you know, like up here where we are, Sasquatch tends on the West Coast tends to be very a, a, typically a passive creature. You know, it doesn't want anything to do with you. It may, you may see it, but mm. it, it, it kind of gets the hell out of the way. But the more south you go and the smaller the creatures are and the more dangerous the lands are around, say, Texas, Louisiana, right across the Florida where they're in the bayous and the, and the swamps and they're, they're fighting with snakes and crocodiles and alligator gar, you know, that uh, and sharks, that uh, these creatures seem to tend to be extremely more aggressive. You know, how would you explain the Yowie uh, to our listeners in that regard? Well, look, I think that there's a lot of similarities between the Yao and the Bigfoot. I mean, even in appearance, um, they do. There are a lot of the encounters that, uh, for example, again, I'll go back to Australian Yowie research, and, and they do have a lot of depiction as to what the Yowie uh, looks like here in Australia. But I do believe that there's a lot of similar characteristics between. Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian formulated solutions like their Cat Attract Litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box, or their best-selling Ultra Litter made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit drelsies.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. Are you a Jeep owner or do you want to come watch a Jeep parade? Either way, West Baton Rouge has you covered. Friday, December 2nd, it's the Jingle Jeep Parade. Fun for all ages. Deadline to register is November 30th. For details or to register, visit westbatonrouge.net. Don't miss the Jingle Jeep Parade in West Baton Rouge. Come for the parade, stay for all the lights and fun. Visit westbatonrouge.net today and join in the fun for the Jingle Jeep Parade. Between the Sasquatch Bigfoot and the Australian Yowie. Now, um, in uh, Track Search for Australia's Bigfoot, which was the prequel to um, to uh, track, uh, oh, sorry, tracking the law, um, there, there's a fellow who's who's a local researcher here in Sydney called Yowie Dan. Now, Yowie Dan is a is a uh, Yowie researcher, obviously, and he actually picked up accidentally this large creature when he was investigating um, some tree breakages. So these signposts that both appear in Australia. And they also, as I've seen, appear in, in North America as well. So he was investigating one and he actually had his camera resting on the ground when this he inadvertently picked up this creature standing next to a, um, uh, a cliff face and decided to turn around and walk away. Now, it's actually in the documentary search, for, uh, uh, sorry, track search for Australia's Bigfoot. Um, and when we went back, we actually went back with a... Um, uh, a fellow who is a, uh, a psychologist, he actually teaches psychology at UWS. Uh, Tony Jinks, his name is, and he's written a few books on the paranormal as well. 
And Tony, we actually took Tony there to uh, to assess the site and, and have a critical point of view on, on what Yowie Dan has actually filmed. And when we went there and we measured it, and the creature would have been anywhere between, say, 10 to 11 foot tall. Wow. Uh, based on based on the recordings and the landmarks that uh, that were recorded. So um, it was it was a remarkable uh, feat on his behalf, and it was accidentally recorded. A- another fantastic recording was done by the guys over at Australian Yari Research who appear in Tracking the Law, and they obtained thermal footage of two Yowies. And when they measured them, or when they measured the height of these Yowies, uh, they were in excess of about nine to ten foot tall. So there is a correlation between the Australian Yowie and the Bigfoot. And, and Sasquatch in in America. Now there is a, a another. There's a couple of researchers in Australia have been around for a while. Um, Neil Frost and um, Gary Opet, uh, who uh, have been doing uh, Yari research, uh, I think since the 70s or the 80s, and uh, they seem to believe that the Yowie is completely independent from the Bigfoot and the Sasquatch. Now, there, there have been some reports in the past where uh, seemingly someone saw a Yowie carrying a small one, a small child, in what appeared to be a pouch. So they're saying that Yowies could potentially be a marsupial type of ape. So there's a lot of theories out there that uh, what Yowies are. I mean, we don't definitively know. Again, the the wealth of information lies in the hands of the Indigenous people as indigenous elders but not all of them will divulge information because for them it's sacred the yaoi is part of their culture it's part of their their tradition this they have the yaoi in their songs they have the yaoi in their dances in their thoughts when they go out and when they have when they do respect for country or when they're going to sacred sites yaoi is connected in every shape or form in in some nations um uh uh, uh, cultural uh, connection. So it's, yeah, it, it, there's there's a lot of interesting similarities, but then again, there, there are certain aspects that appear to deviate significantly from the Bigfoot and the Sasquatch. What about the idea that Sasquatch, that we have, many of us have about Sasquatch here, that it could be something special? It could be interdimensional. It could be a shapeshifter. It could be something magical that people are having experiences with that just can't be explained. Are are you more of a, or is the research down there more of a of a physical type of hominid, or is it is there those weird circumstances where you know, like you had, where it's all around you. Your cameras are right there. You know where the noise is coming from, but you just can't see it. Mm. Um, well, that's an interesting question, actually, because um, uh, we actually had a theory that that um, that the the so called um, ghostly or phantom like appearance of some of these yaois uh, may be connected to the afterlife in some shape or form. So. Um, Almost like we have people who experience human entities or, or um, uh, human-like ghosts or apparitions, if you like. Um, I do believe that Yowies have the same thing. They do have their own apparitions, their own visitations from the afterlife. 
And in tracking the law, one of the um, elders actually make a, makes a really good point that they that they do they, they they still perform their duties as guardians of the land, whether or not they're in flesh and blood, or whether or not they're in the afterlife and come back to sacred grounds and still perform their duties. I strongly believe, and, and this is just my personal opinion and of what I've experienced and heard from, from Indigenous people, is that that phantom aspect where they seem to appear and in a blink of an eye just vanish, um, we, we, that people may potentially be seeing an apparition of a, of a Yowie, of a disembodied Yowie. Hmm. So do you think... Uh, in your own personal belief, the Yowie is flesh and blood, or do, are are you thinking that that it could have some sort of miraculous type of magical qualities? Look, of all the the interviews that I've done and experiences that I've had, and um, you know, people that I've I've spoken to, like uh, you know, Yowie researchers, have been doing this for a very very long time, and especially people who have who've witnessed these, and also talking to elders. So, sort of taking all this information in, I, I, I do believe that we are dealing from a certain perspective with with a flesh and blood creature. Now, I'm not saying that it's impossible for you know for for you know, a, an interdimensional being to come through or, or whatnot. But of what of what of the information that I've gathered so far, it seems to me that we're dealing with two types. One, we're dealing with the flesh and blood aspect, and that's what largely what the focus is on in Australia. I do I do know that there are people out there who have who have the more, I guess, the the etherical or the interdimensional sort of view and and their approach to that. But I also, as I mentioned earlier, I do believe that we, we might be dealing with potential apparitions of of uh, of, uh, of Yowies. So that, that's basically the way I look at it, and it's not because I've come to that conclusion on my own. It's because of the information I've collected over the years. Now, we got three and a half minutes to go before we have to go to break here. At the top of the hour, Attila Kaldi is our guest tonight from Australia talking about the magical Yowie. You know, Australia is an extremely large country. It's one of the largest countries in the world. Are there sightings north, south, east, west, or are they in just a certain area of Australia? Well, most of the sightings are recorded, uh, are potentially recorded and documented and witnessed, of course, uh, on the east coast of Australia. However, there have been sightings, and I've actually, funny enough, I've spoken to a young lady who worked in uh, Northern Territory, which is a central part of Australia, and it's very dry and very arid. And um, they also talk about a Yowie type creature there, and they tell the women not to venture in a certain part of of the uh, of the land at night, especially because uh, even even the the um, indigenous people won't do that after dark because of the the so called um, creature that lives there or the creatures that live there. Um, I don't know what they call them. Every nation seems to have their own sort of depiction and, and name for for the Yowies, um, but we do have uh, records from Western Australia, all around Australia, even Tasmania. So they're potentially um, everywhere. Oh, that, that's just great. So it's much like North America here with the Sasquatch, is there are very few places where it hasn't been seen. You know, I mean, that, that works out, you know, fantastically that so many people across the country are having those type of experiences. 
are the experiences people having, are they just sightings or are they actually having close encounters? Well, um, by close encounters, you think you're referring to physical contact? Or, you know, somebody seeing a yaoi staring at them through their bedroom window or yeah, uh, yeah. through the headlights yeah, they, they of their car. Absolutely. There have been a number of cases like that uh, documented in Australia. Um, and uh, a lot of that could be, again, um, seen on the AYR site, the Australian Yaoi Research site. Um, there's also, I think they also, or that, no, I think I know that they actually got a, a YouTube channel as well. And, and they have a lot of um, interviews there from, from the general public and people who have actually witnessed these. And yeah, there have been sightings, you know, where, where the Yowies have come into people's backyard. You know, that people, Yowies have crossed the road in front of a motor vehicle at night or even during the day. Um, so again, there's, there's, there's a lot of comparison between what is going on in Australia and what is going on in in the states they potentially could be related um over time maybe there was a a, a divergent between the divergence uh, between tribes and, and cultures and whatnot um possibly even during the last ice age where they crossed the land bridge we don't know for sure we can only guess right well you know when we get into hour number two i know our audience will have some questions for you and I also want to get into some of these classic cases that you have investigated over the years regarding this. Mm. And how does Dogman tie into this all? We got a lot to talk about, and we only got an hour left. Man, we needed at least four hours for tonight. <laughs> we really did. This should have been a four-hour show, but we're going to have to settle for one more hour with our guest tonight, Attila Caldi, documentarian, researcher, filmmaker from Australia dealing with everything weird and strange we're talking about the elusive yahweh tonight first time ever on this show we've had this as the main topic du jour hour number two of spaced out radio continues right after this all right we are clear we got about six minutes here uh we're gonna turn things over over to our man dirty filth who is going to continue on with his lovely art. Uh, Tilla, if you need to step away for a minute, this is the time. I'll be right back, guys. Okay, no worries, mate. Mate, that's looking pretty good. Thank you, sir. It looks like a blob right now, but eventually it's going to work out good. So there's uh, there's two two Bigfoot Yowies having a cup of coffee, one with a hockey stick in its hand. <laughs> so we've okay, got a so, Aussie version, or we've got a Canadian so, version. <laughs> okay, so we got it's going to be Yowie meets Sasquatch, ah, and so sweet. the Yowie's saying peanut butter's ace, try some Vegemite, mate, and then the Absolutely. Sasquatch says, "Right on, thanks there, eh, bud." <laughs> and so they're exchanging jars of peanut butter and Vegemite. That is awesome. And That's fantastic. The, that looks great. The blue shoes on the Yowie, from what I've looked up, apparently there's always different amounts of toes or something. And so yeah. he's got he's got one shoe with two toes and another shoe with three toes. And it's real subtle. And if I didn't say anything, then yeah, but it's it not subtle. Actually, fantastic. it's not subtle when I just straight up tell you what it is, but. No, it looks it looks fantastic, mate. Well done. But yeah, it, once it once it comes into 
all the I'll, I'll ink it. It'll be inked up in like about ten minutes, anyways. So yeah, that's cool. Do you I'm rambling. Do... I apologize. No, that's okay. Do do you actually just out of curiosity? Do you actually do psychic art by any chance? I I'm unfamiliar with what psychic arts psychic art is. As psychic artists uh, are people who actually go to a haunted location and they were remotely. Uh, well, when I want to say remotely, they were basically, um, well, almost remotely, blindedly actually draw what comes to mind and what they're experiencing in the space, um, which sometimes are you know, faces of, of uh, spirits. Sometimes it could be an event that happened at that place or energies or whatnot. So it all depends on what comes to mind. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. That's I'm gonna have to look into that because sometimes yeah. I've come into, I've come into these draw and I've done half a drawing before, and then mm. I stop and I just throw another one down and and do another drawing because something else just caught me in the conversation. Mm. Mm. It sounds like you've actually got that ability. So I mean, obviously you do because you have things that come to mind. So whatever is reflected inside the mind's eye is you're actually putting that onto print, which is quite awesome. And that's basically what psychic artistry is all about. I guess I'm going to have to go to Skinwalker Ranch or something like that. Oh, mate, that would be great. <laughs> I don't think that... I think Dave said they've never had a Canadian there, so... Oh, I'd be there and that, that's stick me in the field and let me draw cartoons. That's it. That's it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, until I go into a portal and never come back. <laughs> <laughs> like in the movie, The Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. Well, if I went to a portal and never came back, I hope they got good sour candy on the other side. Mm, true. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Licorice, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going to paint up this little tiny scorpion here. What's the... What's the color of, of a venomous scorpion in... In Australia? Yeah, Australia. Well, we do. A lot of the school, well, most of the scorpions here are like a, a sandy color, like a light gray or a sort of a sandy color. Um, but uh, that will give you a sting. Uh, they won't necessarily kill you. Um, but, we, you know, there are, I think there could be some venomous scorpions, I think, more central Australia. Um, but the ones that we have here in the Blue Mountains, they're only, they'll give you a sting. And then if you have an allergic reaction, that's a problem. But um, it's almost like a spider bite. I've never pestered a spider enough to get bitten. Yeah, I've been bitten a couple of times, um, but uh, lucky enough not by um, an extremely venomous one. i got to ask you, have you ever heard of the Nahani Valley? It rings a bell. Is that Central America, United States? Or it's, uh, it's in Canada, or the Headless Valley. Okay, yeah. No, I haven't. Sorry. Excuse my ignorance. Oh, no, that's fine. Dave will have to fill you in. Mm. Yes, the old Nahani Valley. There is legends that they tell me about it. It's either monsters, (coughs) excuse me, or it's uh, uh, ancient tribes that live in that area that don't like people. And mm. uh, they rip your heads off. Well, do you blame them, though? I mean, 
all things considered, I mean, what are we doing to the to the environment? You know, I mean, I'm not a tree hugger by any chance. But I'm just an observant person. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we're destroying the environment. We're destroying habitats, so naturally, we're pissing off the uh, the local population of, of creatures that live around there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't blame them. I don't blame you either. We got about 40 seconds. Thank you, W. David Page, Dirty Filth Times 2, Renee, Jenny, Louis, uh, Thomas, Chris, and Kira for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support of Spaced Out Radio. Hey, mark it on your calendar, May 19th through 21st at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's our second annual fan party. We have a Facebook page up for it, so you can just type in Spaced Out Radio Fan Party. It'll pop up on the events calendar, and you can tell us whether or not you're going to come make it for us. We want to get at least 100 people there. And here we go, everyone, with our number two. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Paleosophy. Paleosophy is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Hey, we got Bigfoot over here at Down Under in Australia. They have the Yowie, and that's what we are talking about tonight with our good friend Attila Caldi, who's a filmmaker, documentarian, researcher of anything weird and strange, and we are checking it on out for the first time on this show as a main topic of what is going on with the Yowie down there. And Attila, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We very much appreciate it, my man. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem. We, we kind of ended hour number two on, uh, on you know, this creature, you know, whether or not it, it co- tries to get close. Sasquatch up here is known to be very much a, you know, a curious animal, if we could call it an animal. Okay, it seems to be very curious. It seems to, you know, uh, really uh, be attracted to attention, especially if children are yelling, screaming, and playing around. You know, uh, how about down there? What what brings this creature out of its hiding places? Well, um, that's a, a good question, I guess. It's very, very hard to answer that. Um, but um, generally the smell of food, I guess, uh, <laughs> I remember we used to uh, drag a, a, a gas bottle down into the valley with uh, with a saucepan and some bacon and eggs and uh, try to cook up a, a real treat down there and try to get that smell wafting through the valley and see if it would actually attract something. 
And a lot of times it actually did back in the early days um, when we were doing this. Um, but it seems like things have changed a little bit after the uh, the black summer of 2019 and 2020, which kind of reshaped the environment a little bit up here in the Blue Mountains. Um, and there has been a large absence of, of any form of activity from from the Yowie ever since then. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it seems to be food-related, I guess, sound-related. I mean, if there's noise, um, people have... have uh, um, have encountered or I guess have experienced, um, you know, unusual activity based on, um, you know, noise and whatnot. But there's, there's also been an interesting story. Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian formulated solutions like their cat attract litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box or their best-selling ultra litter made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit drlcs.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable, all-inclusive vacation packages with exclusive nonstop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to AMR Collection Resorts and plan your luxury vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at applevacations.com. Story, quite a funny one actually. Um, uh, Yowie Dan has actually told me this story, and apparently, um, these little Junjadis, uh, the, the smaller version of, of Yowies, were uh, like what we discussed earlier. They're, they're very cheek and known to come into people's places and steal shiny things. And uh, up in the Blue Mountains, and I don't know how true this story is, but I will tell you though. Um, uh, this this party was going on, and they could actually see rustling and some little fellas running through the uh, through the scrub there. So what they actually got is they blew up some goon bags and and threw them over the fence, and they can see the goon bags getting pinched and running through the forest, so darting through the forest. So um, again, I don't know how true that story is, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot of things that attract them, but. Uh, one thing I do know that would probably attract a yaoi would be smoke, would be the, the sense of fire because that would inherently um, issue a warning sign, uh, especially after, you know, our massive bushfires here uh, in 2019, 2020. I was just going to ask you that. Were were there a lot of sightings while your country was burning up there the last couple of years, you know, because I know here in British Columbia, uh, there wasn't a lot of sightings during the movements of animals uh, being tracked around. And, you know, I talked to a number of firefighters who are working in the area, you know, just to see, hey, you know, are, are you seeing any uh, movement of Sasquatch or anything? And, and the answer was no. But I'm, I'm curious, was there any big sightings during the, the times of, of the major forest fires? As far as I'm aware, no. Um, uh, like I said before, it actually completely reshaped the landscape here. So um, we've been going back after the fires and, and it's actually covered uh, in, in detail in the documentary, Tracking the Law, uh, the new one. So um, there's the, the intensity that 
these ceasefires um, burnt. Um, if we can imagine that steel melted, um, you know, it created its own weather pattern. Uh, there were fire tornadoes. Um, there were all sorts of wild stuff going on. Um, the elder that's, that, that, uh, that, that is interviewed, one of the elders that's interviewed in the documentary Tracking the Law, actually speaks of um, how the fires ripped through his... Uh, his home, which was basically an Indigenous community, he had workshops, he had, um, you know, um, he had a little community that was going on there. So he had all sorts of events uh, to promote um, Indigenous culture uh, to, to everybody. Um, and we actually did fly a drone over his house or the, basically the remnants of his house and metal basically melted. It, it, it just, the firefighters couldn't believe how hot it actually got. Um, so no, this, there was actually no activity of, of animals. We only saw the aftermath and whether or not, you know, firefighters and rescuers actually saw, uh, unfortunate remains of Yowies is, is yet to be told. I don't think even if they did find any kind of remains, I don't think that would be made public. Right. Right. Is there a big controversy down there regarding the Yowie and, and the fact that it, there is a strong belief that there is a, a governmental cover-up of this creature. Many uh, formidable Sasquatch researchers up here tend to believe that this is the case with the Sasquatch up in our areas. I mean, is that happening down there as well? It's a possibility, um, but, I mean, it, it just makes perfect sense to me to actually have that. Um Look, if, if, if you imagine uh, if if our government or any government did come clean and say, look, you know, we do have 9 to 12 foot tall forest giants living in the woods, can you imagine what that would do to the economy? I mean, all of a sudden the national parks would have to close down. Um, people wouldn't want to go into the national parks. And we have a massive four-drive and camping culture in Australia. So that would be severely affected. So that would snowball all the way down to the automotive industry, to the camping industry, uh, to the hospitality industry. People would want to sell up and, and leave. Then you'd have the other side of the coin where you'd have people wanting to go out there and hunt them down. So I do feel that a, a an announcement like that, I think, would cause more harm than good. The good side of it, I, I would say, is that if they did come clean, then what would actually happen would, and, and what I would expect would happen, is that they would need to then give full control of the national parks to the Indigenous people, and a lot of these national parks would have to close down and, and regard them as a, as a habitat or a site where these Yowies will need to or, or, or allow these Yowies to roam and hunt and live without the interference of, of human intervention. Um, that would obviously create a whole different political turmoil because would they then be classified as an, indig an Indigenous um, culture of people or would they be classified as a um, an endangered species, uh, a newly discovered species? We don't know. So we don't know how the government would actually react to it. So there's, a, I think there's, a, I think before we actually start to jump into conclusion, I think we need to sit down and, and, and look at the consequence and look at the big picture. What would actually happen if the government did actually come out and say, look, these creatures actually are for real? How would that affect our economy? How would that affect our society? And how would that affect our everyday lives?
No, I, and and I hear you too. The the same argument is said uh, up here because it's going to affect forestry. It's going to affect mining, camping, tourism, fishing, hunting, because they're exactly. going to shut down yeah. every area possible in order to try and yeah. figure out the habitat and the food sources of this new creature. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's cheaper, definitely cheaper than, than uh, bringing it out. And like I've said to our audience before, I don't know how it is in other areas around North America, but up here, if something happens, the loggers are told to keep quiet, just shut up about it because, because there's millions of dollars at play, you know, for those logging rights. And that's a really good point because uh, uh, Yowie Dan, who's become a, a good friend of mine now, and we've obviously we've, we've been he's been quite instrumental in both documentary films. He actually went out hiking one day with with a colleague of his, and they bumped into some rangers. And I think either Dan or his colleague actually mentioned Dan's recording, and one ranger looked to the other and said they finally recorded him. So what does that tell you that the rangers? Some of the ranges, I don't think all of them, but I think some of the key ranges have full knowledge of, of the Yowies that they do exist. I think they understand their habitats. We have a massive area in the Blue Mountains that's a cordoned off area. It's, it's a, regarded as a primary water catchment, so you're not allowed in there. And the deterrent is, I think, an eleven or twenty-two thousand dollar fine. So nobody's going to risk that. But it's, it's. I think it's safe for, for us to assume that, yes, it is definitely a water catchment area because that's where uh, the Sydney water receives its, or, or, or sorry, out, uh, the water board receives. Okay, I'll rephrase that. Where Sydney receives their water source from, from the from Lake Burragrang, which then goes into Warragamba. But I also believe that a large portion of that may potentially be a safeguarded habitat for these Yowies. So humans can't venture in there because it's an area that's that's prohibited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I, I want to ask you about some of the the close encounters that you have covered over the years. Let, let's hear some stories that you have covered. Wow. Um, so we're talking about UFO activity here. Um Quite interesting because I, uh, I, one of the first encounters that I've had that I can actually recall having was back in 1997 or six, and my wife and I were coming back from uh, from shopping, and um, it was at night time, and I got out of the car. She got out of the car. I was, I was rolling up the garage door, and we were only sort of only married for I think two years. Then. So we were freshly married, young, young, you know, couple. Um, and as I just caught a glimpse of the, glimpse of the sky, I looked, I happened to be looking up at the sky, and this massive triangle just cruise across the open sky. And my wife caught the caught a glimpse of it as well. Now there was no sound, there was no wind, it was pitch black, and as this thing just went past, the top of the tree started swaying. Um, so that was one of our first uh, unidentified flying object uh, or encounter with a UAP or a UFO, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then obviously from, from 99, um, I, once, once we established this civilian um, research group, we, um, 
we had quite a number of cases. Now, we were a member of the Australian UFO Research Network, or known as AFORN back then. And in early 2000s, especially in 2001, uh, the, the, the east coast of Australia, especially the Sydney region, experienced a UFO flap. Now, those people who don't know what a UFO flap is, it's a, an, a, a massive uh, outbreak of UFO activity. And we were receiving phone calls after phone calls. I mean, people, we didn't have the luxury of, you know, online reporting. People were actually phoning a 1-800 number, which is a free number that you ring and report your encounter to. So we were responding to like probably about 10 or 15 phone calls almost on a daily basis. That's how active it got. So I took a group of people out to uh, in 2001, March 2001, to a place on the north shore of Sydney known as Long Reef in Collaroy. Now, uh, we we set up there after 8 o'clock and we basically, what we did is we did a night survey, a night watch, and we watched the sky to see, okay, let's see what the hell is going on. Why are we getting all these different reports of crazy lights in the sky? So there were some, obviously, some detailed reports from different structures from, from cylindrical shape objects to uh, to spherical objects uh, to just illuminated balls of light. And then there was this one report which was reported to a well-known ufologist in Australia known as Bill Chalker. And this fellow basically reported what looked like very similar to the UFO in close encounters of the third kind, but it was the other way around. So it was a half-moon-shaped base with what appeared to be like a city on top. And this was all reported around the northern beaches of, of, of Sydney back in the time. So when we went out, the first thing we saw was this bright ball of light coming in from the Tasman Sea heading in towards inland. Now, it actually stopped probably about a 1,000 metres from the shoreline and just hovered above the water, and then it submerged gradually into the sea. So this happened about three or four times, and whether it was the same object or whether it was a completely different object every time, I don't know. I didn't, did manage to catch it with an old camera. I did a time lapse on it. And I did manage, actually not a time, it was a long exposure shot of this thing sort of curving into the ocean. And at the last encounter that we had, we actually saw this light dart through the water uh, unhindered. So all of a sudden the fellow that I was with uh, said, mate, look to the to, the, to your far um, east because there's a massive ball of light coming. Now, lucky enough, I had a little telescope with me, so... I had a 24mm eyepiece and I aimed this little telescope straight at that light and it was, what I saw was, was, was all I can say is, is incredible. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And this thing was like, if you could imagine a propeller of an aircraft uh, with three blades turned upside down and curved up and had two tiers, uh, two tiered lights on each tip and had a, a central a hub which was illuminated and it was on a 45-degree angle and it was slowly rotating, very gradually, just suspended in the air. Now, the fellow had a chance to look at it. As soon as I went back to have a look at it again, this thing just shot through, went back towards the east and stopped as a glowing ball of light in the horizon above the ocean. So I ran towards the other end of that, that peninsula. Uh, the fellow stayed there back. He stayed behind to mine the equipment. And then I ran back and said, look, mate, it's settled above the water. Let's grab everything and let's run back. And as we did, we could hear these helicopters emerge from somewhere. And we couldn't see the helicopters. That was the funny thing. 
and we were looking around. So we decided to hide. We decided to go under the trees because we didn't know if what we saw was something that we weren't supposed to see. What we did see, though, from the helicopters were the searchlights, and they were searching the actual shore there, the, the beach. Just And we were on top, so we, we were on the high end of the rocky end, but then down the lower end, that's where the beach was, and the spotlights were actually scanning the beach. And that was one of the, the most incredible encounters I personally had. But I've obviously, you know, met people over the years who have had some very interesting encounters with, with so-called unidentified flying objects. I've actually covered a few of this uh, or some of the sightings. In fact, there's one sighting actually covered in a documentary series called Paranormal Investigators Uncut. And um, there's a story there from an old European fellow who had an encounter back in 1999 and filmed his first encounter and then had a second encounter with a massive saucer-shaped craft, and there was six independent witnesses. So he ran out in front of his, his yard. He saw this UFO, this, this classical flying saucer just hovering there. But the way he described it is that it was almost like it was like in the twilight zone. Sound was cut. It was 11 o'clock at night. You know, he couldn't hear, not even a sound, couldn't, couldn't hear a car, couldn't hear... Anyone couldn't hear a dog barking, nothing. Everything just went dead silent. He tried to get his camera. He was focused on his camera to switch it off, and the camera wouldn't switch on. And then, lucky for him, this car turned up out of nowhere, and he was waving the car down. And the, the people, the occupants of the car were from South Africa, so they thought that he had a gun in his hand. So they decided to, you know, storm down the road because they thought this crazy European guy is waving his arm with a gun in his hand. But the driver looked in his rearview mirror and he saw this elderly fellow standing in the middle of the road. And also in his rearview mirror, he saw this craft hovering there. So he decided to turn back and join Laszlo, which is his name, and Laszlo Novak. And they got out and they were privy to this incredible sighting. In fact, there was not one, but there was three objects. There was one primary object that was hovering literally above them. And there were two other objects uh, in the distance, almost like waiting for this third one to catch up. And um, when it did, so this object decided to move and it caught up with the other two and it coalesced and formed one and then shot up into the sky and disappeared. Now, the funny thing is that Lazar didn't realise that the video was actually recording. It wasn't recording video, but it was recording an hour of nothing. And the encounter apparently, according to the witnesses, lasted no more than 15 minutes. So he had some lost time. And in the process, uh, he actually went to a hypnotherapist here and managed to relive the experience or the lost time that he claims was an abduction experience. So, And he went through that whole process explaining what, what he did under hypnosis, and that was recorded on video too. So um, they had a video uh, stood up back in 2001, and uh, it was on a stand. It was just recording the whole session. And uh, he literally went through the whole encounter, and his session lasted for one hour. So we had some really interesting stories over the years of, of close encounters here in Australia. My goodness. My goodness. Now, have you ever investigated, as we got about 90 seconds to go here, have you ever investigated Pine Bush and the secrets around that? Oh, Pine Gap. Um, Pine Gap, pardon me. No, yeah, no, that's okay. Um, no, I haven't. I, I That area is kind of off limits, really. I, I don't, personally, I don't think it has anything to do, I don't think it's an Area 51 type of facility that a lot of people believe it to be. 
Um, I think it's 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 a it's a, a military uh, facility that's shared with with America, and I think that the guys over there are doing a fantastic things looking fantastic thing looking after our national security. No aliens. I personally don't think so. I I I've never heard of of any stories that would suggest otherwise, but uh, suggest sorry that there are, but I, I don't think so. No. Oh, darn it. And here I was hoping you were going to give us some breaking news that you got some aliens happening over there, and you just ruined it for me, man. Ruined it not for today, me. Not today, not now. <laughs> Speaking of aliens, do you have, you know, is there a lot of alien abduction cases that go on there? There's quite a few, actually. A lot of people have actually claimed to have been abducted by, um, well, non-terrestrial beings or what appear to be non-terrestrial beings. Um, there was a well-known case called Westall uh, 66, which happened in 1966, and that was a, a mass sighting at a school uh, where people actually saw a UFO. And I'm not sure if they actually did see uh, any occupants coming out of that. I can't recall that, although don't quote me on that. But apparently this, this craft did land somewhere, and there was a whole sort of cover-up behind that. Um, but there have been a number of cases. Like Laszlo happens to be one of them. Um, there used to be a, a support groups back in the years so yeah well when we return we got some audience questions and we're gonna find out does australia have their own dogman encounters attila caldi is our guest tonight on spaced out radio we're having a great time you need to tune on in when we come back fantastic half hour there fantastic half hour (laughs) No worries. Hope I wasn't dribbling too much. Oh, I know the feeling. <clears throat> I know the feeling. I don't think there's a lot of difference between um, what we have here in Australia and you guys. I think that we're very, very similar. Um, uh, it's it's almost like a blueprint from one country to the next. Um, and even the culture is very similar as well. Um, yeah. Um, I think we share a lot of interesting things uh, when it comes to the paranormal and the unexplained. Very nice, very nice. But we, but I will do. I will say something though. If 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 it, it does interest you, we do have our own Rendlesham Forest, so to speak, here in in Australia, where a forest where everything weird happens um and we also have our own sort of um skinwalker ranch as well but it's not a ranch it's an old facility um that's now unfortunately collapsed and died but the land may still hold some some mysteries oh wow yeah that that, Mm. like i said i need you for another two hours (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of stories mate there's so much but the dogman's going to be interesting because um uh it actually all started with a personal encounter that my son and i and my daughter had oh well no actually more. not in australia no more but no anyway more. we'll, we'll get to it oh my goodness <laughs> you've got me on a roll now now i'm excited now i'm excited <laughs> you know i'm almost as excited as dirty we'll just fit. have to bring him Attila, you'll just have to come back sometime in a couple months or something or whatever yeah, after no Christmas time or whatever. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm happy too. Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian-formulated solutions. Like their Cat Attract Litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box. 
Arthur Best Selling Ultra Litter, made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit drlcs.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable, all-inclusive vacation packages with exclusive nonstop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to AMR Collection Resorts and plan your luxury vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at applevacations.com. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's a nice hockey stick you, you got going there, uh, Dirty. And is that A's Rock in the background? That's A's Rock, isn't it? I'm, I'm trying my best to draw it. But, uh, you did yeah, well. Kind of neat well. note there. Yeah. Thank um, you. Just, just needs to be red. That's the only thing with A's Rock over in Uluru. But apart from that, mate, you've, I think you've nailed it. Very nice. We'll darken it up. Sounds good. <laughs> Just for any any Aussies out there who actually know the um, uh, no airs rock and Uluru, uh, will probably say, "Oh, that's supposed to be red." <laughs> right. It's looking really good. I try right? to be accurate with my artwork. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, he's pretty good there. Pretty no doubt. Good there. No doubt at all. That's why we love him coming on here. <laughs> so what's for the weekend dave what do you got planned for the weekend well i have no hockey this weekend with my son uh, uh so we are i am going to be uh we've been doing a bunch of renovations around my house uh mm. and um and slowly but surely it's getting done so i got a bunch of things i need to take to the dump you know, mm. and uh, I hate uh, I'm going to put up my Christmas lights, you know, before it gets too cold. You know, yep, yep, I hear you. See, we have a stinking summer here. Our summer's stinking hot. Um, although last summer was, was reasonably good because we didn't really have a hot summer, but our summers here are humid, um, they're very, very hot. Um, so uncomfortable that you don't really want to go outside because of the UV. It's 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 a killer during summer. In uh, in in winter time and autumn and spring, it's quite good. But summer, yeah, you burn like a crisp very quickly. Yeah, we uh, we get those areas around here too. British Columbia, really? wow. British Columbia is is really weird because if you start off on the west coast, you're yep. you're literally in a in a rainforest uh, right up to Alaska. Mm. So from Northern California uh, to uh, Alaska, that entire uh, coastal area is all a rainforest. Mm. And Mm. that's why, you know, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland tend to get a lot of rain. Um, Then when you cross the Fraser Canyon, and the Cascade Mountains, uh, the more north you go, the it, it's kind of weird because south of me is all desert. In mm. like in an hour, in forty five minutes drive, an hour's drive, 
uh, before you head into the mountains, you actually hit into the desert area, and and the desert is is very large, and then it mm. it's surrounded. Then you get these pockets of forest, and then desert, then forest, then desert, and that wow. continues right up. Uh, so mm. pe- a lot of people don't, like people don't understand that it's quite dry here. But I mean, the winters are pretty hot. Hold on, here we go, everyone. Yep. Hard to believe we're already at the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Very glad to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. We're having a great old time here on the Mighty SOR. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go, final half hour talking Yowie, UFOs, and everything weird and strange down in Australia with documentary filmmaker, researcher, uh, Attila Kaldi. He's been doing this literally since 1999, and Attila, we got a Busy, busy half hour here. And before we get to audience questions, one of the strange creatures that is starting to pop up around Australia is dogman encounters. When did this start? Mm. Well, that's interesting because um, there have been known cases for quite a number of years, but uh, a lot of people thought that we were dealing with a different form of Yowie here. So, But it wasn't until, I guess, um, we... Uh, uh, I met well. Basically, Yowie Dan received a report uh, from uh, from this fellow called John, and John was out on his kayak fishing when he heard a rustle in in the uh, in the scrub on the shore, and uh, this thing was actually pacing him, and he said that it sounded like sounded heavier than a racehorse because he uh, he he's involved with with uh, with horse racing, and. Essentially what happened was he, he got his camera out and he started taking pictures and this thing was peeking out from from the from between the trees and looking at him. And uh, when you uh, look at the image, you can clearly see that it's a canine type of creature. And uh, we went back and it's part of, uh, actually it is in the documentary, the next documentary film that I make, uh, Tracking the Law. It does appear in there, but we actually did go back to that location and uh, and we retraced that whole area and tried to determine how big and what this creature could have been. And the only way that this thing could have actually looked at John from its from its perspective and looking over those trees is if it had to be over three metres tall. And this thing was massive, whatever it was. It was huge. Well, he heard it moving through, um, through the wilderness anyway. So um, that was quite an interesting encounter. There have been a number of encounters up in Queensland. Again, uh, Australian Yari Research have have reported, who received some reports up there. Um, I personally had an encounter, not in Australia, um, that if you wish I can cover very quickly. Sure. Um, 
We, uh, I was actually filming in Europe back in 2017 a documentary called Ghosts of Europe and uh, we were actually filming in, in Chernobyl um, going into abandoned places and just looking for, you know, so-called ghostly encounters. Now, we'd actually returned back from, from, uh, from the Ukraine. Uh, we uh, went to Slovakia and then we investigated an abandoned orphanage in Hungary. And my background is, is Hungarian. And um, uh, after filming, uh, I took my kids and my wife stayed back at the, uh, the hotel and visited my brother who lives in a, in a, who lived in a, uh, a small town. And we were coming back. It was 9 o'clock at night. Now, this would have been April. Uh, this was April, actually. So it was, it was quite dark and we were on a country road. So one side of the road, there was, there was some, um, uh, I think it was some wheat that was growing. And on the other side, they had some, uh, I think, again, wheat. But further down, uh, there was a mountain range there. So we are on this road doing approximately 70 kilometres an hour. And I could see in the corner of my this red light that was in between the wheat or the, the, um, the, the growth on the left-hand side that was basically running parallel with us. So I actually looked over there and I first thought, well, there could be someone in a, uh, in, in a motorbike, on a, a trail bike with night vision. That was the first thing that came to mind. And then this thing just took off uh, and got in front of us and passed the road. It was this big black mass that passed the road. And I said to the kids, I said, did you just see that? I mean, I was, I was in a hired car. It was an old car too, so the lights weren't that great, but it was just outside of the range. You could still see this large mass cross the road. So I stopped the car and I reversed back. And my son got the full-blown, um, you know, encounter of this thing. And then he started smashing the backrest of my chair and saying, Dad, just get the hell out of here now. He started throwing. He was only a young kid too. He was only about 17. And then I just, I didn't hesitate. I just took off because he was so distressed that I had never seen him like that. I mean, you know, this kid lives with a guy and his, his mum and dad are both into the strange and unexplained. So, you know, they've, they've been exposed to that side of the, of the world. So when we got back to the hotel, because he didn't speak until we got back, because I tried asking, what did you see? What did you see? He said, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. When we got back, he actually described to me that he saw this massive creature leaning on this, this tree. It was probably about three quarters of the way up this tree. And this tree was about five, roughly about five meters tall, four to five meters tall. It was about three, about three quarters of the way up the tree, leaning on it and then looking down at the car. And he said that the head was out of proportion to the body. He said the head looked like a giant wolf. And the body, he says, it was standing up, but it looked like it had like, like patches of fur, almost looked sickly. So the, the skin on it was, was, was sort of appeared to have different shades and different, different contrasts from one to the next. He didn't see the colour properly because the reverse light and the, um, the, the tail lights, the red tail lights, were actually flooding the creature with red and, and only a small portion of white. So what he got to see was, was basically the structure of this creature. It was leaning down at him and it was moving. It was getting close, like its head was getting closer. So we took off just in time. Um, and, and that basically started my, my interest and inquiry into the so-called dogman. And then I had uh, the encounter here with, well, not personally, but John had the encounter. So we had, uh, we had key evidence and we had some um, uh, evidence or photographic evidence of what appears to be a candid-type creature standing more than three metres tall to get a glimpse at this fellow who's fishing uh, in a kayak. I want to ask you in regards to these sightings, a lot of people who have close encounters with Dogman tend to get a 
a, a telepathic message like, like, don't come closer. It'll be dangerous for you. If you're armed, Put don't raise your gun at me because it's mm-hmm. going to be real bad. Was there any type of telepathic communication going on with warnings? No, no, not to my knowledge. Um, I, it's something that I, I might want to talk to my son about. I think the, the sighting itself was, was overwhelming enough, let alone, you know, receiving any kind of, you know, um, uh, psychic message. But, look, uh, not to my knowledge, Dave, no. Oh, wow. Have you heard of that happening before? I have heard of it. Not in Australia. I have heard of a lot uh, of, of these encounters happening over in the States um, and over in Europe. Um, but I, I don't recall hearing any kind of telepathic communication between the witness and and the subject. So, um, no, no, I haven't. When Let's go back to this story of of the gentleman in the kayak who had the dog man watching him, you know, I mm. mean, did he have any sense of that encounter? Was he feeling anything strange and weird on that day? He did. Um, he, he did. I mean, uh, John is, uh, is, is, uh, his heritage is, is, uh, is an indigenous, he's got an indigenous heritage. So, um, but uh, he did feel, a very a strong, overwhelming sense of dread, and it was almost like a warning. Someone or something was warning him uh, to move away and to get away from that area. So it was more of a. I don't know if it was actually coming from the the creature itself, or whether it was a connection between John and his ancestral heritage. But uh, I do recall him actually having that feeling of dread. Right, and and it's weird because these dogman creatures seem to project that feeling of dread when people are around them. I mean, what did he do when he saw the creature? Did he paddle his way into deeper water? Did he try uh, using the current to get the hell out of there faster? Well, um, the, the the Georges River that he was in is not a a fast flowing. Um, water source so you can basically navigate your way upstream or downstream however way you want without problem um, I know that John actually had an encounter prior to this it wasn't a visual but it was an audible encounter where he was out fishing and he heard this roaring sound um, and the, the cockatoos here were going absolutely crazy uh, all the wild birds are going crazy um, and he was fishing, so he basically packed up. And I know that he, even then, he actually had that sense of dread, that sense of of, of alertness, of of almost like a, a fight or flight type um, sensation. So he paddled his way out of there then, and I think learning his lesson from his first encounter that he had, he basically did the same thing. And I think he did the intelligent thing because we know that these creatures are capable of swimming, so we we don't know if whether or not, you know, this this creature would have actually pursued him in the water or would have followed him. But he, as he was going in, this this creature was was actually was was paralleling um, his his every every move. But funny enough, it, the 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 uh, the initial encounter that he had with that roaring sound, that occurred after he caught a fish. So when he bore the fish out of the water, that's when the roaring sound started. So whether or not the creature was upset because he's taking his food away, to me that sounds logical uh, to me, um, especially if there was, you know, uh, very little food around at the time. I'm not sure exactly um, 
what the situation was back then. But, um, yeah, uh, he, he definitely got out of there without a... a uh, you know, without hesitation. The last thing you want is is paddling in water and then a, a dog man coming out of the water and, pick, you know, poking its head out of the water and staring at you and trying to pull you down. Well, so, you know, true. the imagination runs wild, you know, <laughs> when, when something like this happens. So anything is possible. Very true, my friend. Very true. As, uh, you know what, we've got a few minutes left. Let's get to some audience questions here. And Midwest okay. Night Watchers is asking, do they, this is going back to the Yowie, do they have a different vocalization than the North American Bigfoot? Actually, it's a really good question. Um, the, the, the howling and whooping that we have here, uh, the recording sounds have been compared to the North American Bigfoot whooping and howling sounds, and they appear to be very, very similar. Um, so obviously you'd need an audio engineer to be able to compare them to to you know, work out the differences. But uh, at first hearing or hearing it at first um, when, when you're trying to compare it yourself using your own ears, then they do sound the same, yes. Very interesting. All right, let's continue on. Let's go to Joe in California. Australia is close to the islands uh, that uh, Duke from World Bigfoot Radio says has giants. Are there any reports of giants in Australia? Well, I did mention this earlier that um, there's there's a, a potential species called the Quinken, uh, which are giants, um, and uh, in in indigenous lore and story, they don't appear to be very friendly at all. But they appear to be very similar to the Yowies here, but much much larger. Um, so. Um, Maybe that's our own trolls here in Australia. Um, I'm not sure. But um, there's only been very few reports of gigantic, um, you know, Bigfoot or cryptids like that in Australia, megafauna like that. But, um, um, you know, not this, this uh, you know, you can't rule anything out. No, very much no. Uh, yeah, it's much like, you know, you, you hear about the giants of Kandahar and in the Middle East there that are still wandering around, you know, 10 to 15 feet tall. I mean, I could just imagine what something like that looks like. Let's go over to the UK where Tracy Scott is asking, do you have skinwalkers in Australia folklore? Again, that's a good question. Um, Look, I haven't really touched on that or actually pursued that question. That's something that um, the elders would would talk about. I know that they have very, they have quite a number of different stories about different forms of, of creatures and, and how people have actually turned into animals. Uh, and they have a lot of stories that relate to that, especially in their Dreamtime stories. So there, there are known stories um, of, of, you know, people doing wrong things and then they, can, they turn into different types of animals. Um, as to whether or not they're very similar to the, uh, the North American skinwalkers, I really don't know. Wow. Wow. But you do have uh, the idea of shapeshifters around there. Uh, potentially, yes. Potentially. Right. Okay, let's let's move on here to another question. This one from Midwest Night Watchers again. What does their the Yowie's diet consist of? Does their diet change by region? Uh, it's a possibility. Um, look, people have actually seen uh, kangaroos ripped in half, um, so they ultimately it, it is a possibility that they that they're uh, they're carnivorous uh, mammals, 
Um, people have seen them on the side of the road eating roadkill. So people have reported those things. People have reported them um, seeing them in large garbage bins near uh, meat refinery plants. So um, I dare say that, you know, meat is on, on the menu, um, but I also believe that they, they do have a, um, a – I think that they're, they're more uh, – Omnivores than than carnivores, so I do believe that they have a mixture diet of, of you know, and, uh, of native plants and roots, perhaps, uh, and also meat. I, I yeah, it, it, I do believe that it, it may depend on where they are. Right, absolutely. Mm. Their environment is going to dictate that. Brown dwarf is Brown dwarf is wondering uh, if you had heard the story of the dogman encounter with the photo taken by the guy in canoe. Uh, you believe I'll go, we just had that story that you talked about, but do you believe yeah. that is a legitimate case? Absolutely, I know John quite well. I actually got to know him through this case. Um, we've become you know good friends. Um, he um, he has been shaken up even till to this day uh, from his encounter. I, I don't think he's very comfortable even going out at night time. He's he's always on high alert. Um, and, you know, I think that if someone was making up a story, um, I don't think that he'd be showing those characteristics. Furthermore, he's got photographic evidence. Um, I did go through a database of masks and everything else. Look, um, but I don't think there was somebody there in a mask, and even if they had, even if there was someone there in a mask, they would have had to be in a bloody big person, excuse the, the, the pronunciation, but uh, they would have had to be a very tall person to have to peer over that that bush so no i do believe that it is a legitimate case 100 percent. excellent excellent atila caldi is here until the top of the hour and we're going to get to another question from our audience this one comes from super duke from world bigfoot radio who will be on next right after you uh he is asking can we ask you about the pelaga scrub and all of the scary yowie and ghost stories from there the Pilliga Scrub, yeah, it's a uh, it's a notorious location. I've actually filmed there, and, and a part of the Pilliga Scrub actually appears in in um, in uh, tracking the law. Uh, I've been there a number of times. Um, we've had some interesting encounters um, in the Pilliga Scrub. It is quite an interesting area because most of the encounters there seem to be quite aggressive. Um, so uh, yeah, we've we've actually seen a large shadow cross the road there. Many years ago, um, when I was filming a a, uh, a documentary called "Search for the Australian for the Indigenous Yowie." Um, Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable vacation packages with exclusive nonstop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to top-rated resorts like Ryu Hotels and Resorts and plan your vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at AppleVacations.com. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to.
I think I've actually got that. That actually documentary is on the very paranormal channel. So, um, yeah, it was uh, the Pilliger Scrub does have its own secrets. Um, it does have its own ghost ghost stories. The Pilliger Princess, which is believed to be a lady of the night who got hit by a truck that still haunts the Newell Highway over there, which is the main road that cuts through the Pilliger. I am uh, wanting to go back to the Pilligers because we've had a lot of encounters there. And, Dave, if you ever get me back, I think it would be worthwhile sort of uh, touching on that topic because the Pilliger Shrub itself is a mysterious place. Wow. Yeah, we're going to have to remind uh, on that. I'll get uh, Duke to remind me about that when it's time. Let's go to Doug Shelby. We call him the Doug Shelby around here. Uh, What is probably the most haunted place or most paranormal in Australia? Well, I don't know if there's such a thing as the most haunted or most paranormal place. However, I, I, I would like to put a caveat on that, just thinking back. There was a place that I referred to as the Australian version of the Skinwalker Ranch. It was an old building uh, in the Blue Mountains. It was in a national park region. And boy, nothing that I've actually, because I've been going to haunted places and filming in haunted places for a very, very long time now, I think in excess of 15 years, and nothing has come anywhere close to that location. And the things that actually we saw there um, was absolutely mind-blowing. And some of the witnesses have seen things like a a body, a, a torso of this thing that was crawling on its elbows. Two independent witnesses saw it. Um, crawling really fast from one end of the building to the other end and just really things from that come from horror movies and and these were all legitimate accounts. Um, uh, It was completely, again, this is a a whole other topic that we can cover again if you ever get me back, but uh, it's, yeah, that place really rattled everybody. It, it, It changes you. If you've ever been there, during its peak, um, you'll come out of there as a different person because no one who've ever I've actually taken there, and I've taken a lot of people there, and a lot of people have investigated that place. They've all come out different. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. What's, uh, you know, in 2022, you know, coming out of COVID and the restrictions that were brought upon you guys down there and in North America too, we saw a lot more people get back into camping and get back out into the wilderness. Was was there an increase in sightings in 2022 comparatively to other years because more people were venturing out into the wilderness? Uh, that's a good question, Dave. I'm probably not the right person to, to answer that. Um, a lot of the these reports would have been going through places like the Australian Yari Research Forum, um, so any kind of information there or, or anything like that would probably be best sourced from the AYR. Look, uh, it, to be honest, I think that that just just looking at it holistically, uh, where people did not go out to national parks and they didn't go camping and so forth, it would have allowed all sorts of animals to venture closer in into uh, more habitable regions or sort of, i say, more suburban regions because ultimately there was a lack of human absence. But uh, uh, sorry, because there was a lack of human presence rather. But um, I do believe that that uh, once the gates opened up, um, I mean, if it would actually make sense for, for people to have more encounters of strange things. Um, 
in the Blue Mountains, although, again, you know, because it was devastated by fires and large areas that were active before were devastated by fires, there has been a, a lack of activity there. Right, right. With 90 seconds to go, do me a favor, uh, Attila, and please uh, tell everybody where they can find your documentaries and more information about your work because I, I think you have done absolutely outstanding in promoting the weird and strange in Australia that you have worked on. And uh, thank you so much for coming on this show, my friend. Oh, thank you. Um, the best, I think it's the best platform really to go to is the website, which is paranormalinvestigators.tv. Now, um, my content's called it scattered all over on different platforms from Amazon, Tubi. Um, you could, some of them are even on YouTube. Some of the distributors, uh, my distributors are actually put it on YouTube. Um, Hulu, I think it's been on Peacock as well. It's, it's a whole bunch of different platforms you can find them on. But if you actually go to the website, the website will, will direct you to to uh, the nearest platform. Wow. It has been a completely intense show with you tonight. And I'm very, very excited uh, to have had you on and, and talk about the Yowie for the first time here on Spaced Out Radio. Uh, what a great show, uh, Attila. And definitely we would love to bring you back here in the near future to continue some monster talk with us. Happy to do so, Dave. Thank you very much for having me again. And enjoy tomorrow, my friend. You're already there. You know, we're still an hour <laughs> away. Enjoy tomorrow. <laughs> No problems, thank you. Attila Caldi, everyone. Researcher, filmmaker, documentarian. A busy hour three coming up on Spaced Out Radio. Swamp Dweller joins us to kick it off. Super Duke's got the cryptid report. I've got the Dave 101. And Shirky Poo has the news. Hour three of Spaced Out Radio is next. Great show, my friend. Great show. Thank you Thanks. very much, mate. Here, let's take a I look. I enjoyed it, mate. Let's take a look at Dirty Filth. Yowie. Mate, that is fantastic. How good is that? Yeah. How good is that? Trading. Shoot so- a message. I'll send it to you. Oh, sorry, mate. Just shoot me a message. And oh, okay, yeah, uh, I'll send you an email. Oh. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. That looks fantastic. Well, trading. Very proud of that, mate. That's great. Trading some peanut butter for Vegemite. There we go. <laughs> That's sensational. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, good on you. All it's right. And see, he's got, he's got two toes on one shoe and three toes on the other, just to confuse people. You should put thongs on him, being Aussie. <laughs> I'll make sure to do that next time. <laughs> do that next time. Uh, there's a running joke here with Yowie Dan, too. Um, I'll be right back, guys. Thongs. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's, it's great, mate. Fantastic. Yeah, man, just uh, shoot a message and I'll stick it to free. I can ship anything to anywhere in the world. Mate, even if you uh, even if you send me a digital, I mean, you, you can ship it if you want it. I, I'd, I'd really be honoured if you did. Well, but, I'd, rather, um, I'd rather have the – I'd rather have the – it's just going to take up space in my on my shelf here. So if I ship it out to Australia, they can say – I get at least two drawings in Australia now. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. I got your message too. Um, yeah, it's cool. All right. Uh, so is that is that red enough or? 
Absolutely. You've, you've got it spot on, mate. That's really good. Perfect. And we got a spider and a scorpion. <laughs> no, it looks fantastic. I'll just write this message for you. Right on. Right on. Right on. All right, Dave. All right, my friend. You take care. All right, buddy. You too, mate. Look after yourself. And, uh, yeah, mate, yeah, don't hesitate to, to let, let me know if you want me back anytime. Oh, we definitely want you back, and we'll get uh, back to you soon. Yeah, no worries, mate. Been a champion. Take care of yourself, mate. Look ta- you too. All right. Uh, Tilla Caldi, everybody. What a great dude, man. What a great dude. Nice score there, Dirty Filth. Nice score. All right. Let's say hello to everyone who's hopped on in. 405er, Sweet Tony D, uh, Brandon Blount, how you doing? And 
Who else is joining us here? Uh, let's see. Hip Hop, United We Stand. And, is Hilla? And, uh, I, just, <laughs> I just want to apologize. My microphone was on mute for the last, like, six minutes, and I was rambling away. And what? I was like, why is nobody talking to me? So, well, that's because you're dirty. <laughs> oh, Lily <geez>. Pond, <laughs> nice to see you. I feel... Okay, anyway, I'll get this all nice and framed up. I'll send it to you. And, uh, uh, Attila's, sorry, I was... Attila's gone, dude. Oh, jeez. He's gone. Have a good day, or well, have a good rest of your day. I'm going to have a good night, and take care. We'll see you in the future. All right. See you, Dirty. That's Dirty Filth, everyone. We got 10 seconds. Thank you to our super chatters tonight. Low Pro, how you doing? Toklan, nice to see you. And here we go, everyone. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Paleosophy. Paleosophy is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight as we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. I'm a 17-year-old guy currently living in Phoenix, Arizona. This incident occurred six months ago on an overnight trip in the Superstition Mountains, about an hour's drive east of Phoenix. I'm not going to specify the exact trail because I've been doing this stuff long enough to realize what happens when you post things on the internet. Whether it's a golf course, an abandoned mine, ghost, or whatever it may be, people usually come flocking with a lot of trash and loud music. I took this trail, an eight-mile loop through a canyon, a simple in-and-out overnight trip. I planned to go with my friend, but the last-minute cancellation on his part left me on my own. So, with a packed bag and a car ready to go, I decided to go independently. Not leaving the house on time and having some trouble navigating through rough forest roads, I didn't arrive at the trailhead until around 5.45, which for those of you who don't backpack is a huge no-no. I had about a four-mile hike until I arrived at my planned camping spot, and it was getting dark fast. So I figured if I moved quick enough, I could get at least two to three miles in before I had to find the spot. 
This strategy left me hiking a very dark trail on my own with about 15 miles of dirt road between me and anyone else. Walking in the dark by itself is scary, especially for where I was and being on my own. Eventually, it got so dark that I could only see where my headlamp was pointing, and that's when I figured I needed to stop and set up a camp. Only using the headlamp as a light source, I tried to move as fast and as quickly as I could. I ended up in a less than ideal spot, but there were some burnt pieces of wood and the remains of a fire circle. Hence, it did look like people at one point camped here, but not any time recently from my estimations. My priority was to get the fire going. I scanned the area around me and found some dry wood and I got the fire going relatively easily. I got my tarp set up and cracked open a can of chili mac I had brought and was looking forward to eating. I felt good. My camp was set up and my food was on fire. The uneasiness from the hike had almost gone away and the concern from the walk in had virtually gone away. But it was still there in the back of my head, which I think is just a side effect from camping alone in remote areas. To fully understand what happened, I have to explain how my camp was set up. The site I had picked was a small clearing surrounded by large pine trees with a trail about 30 feet to my left. When you are in the woods and you have a fire going, the fire casts a circle of light around it and everything on the edge of that circle and past it is essentially pitch black. I was sitting on the ground near my fire eating dinner when a small rock about the size of a marble was thrown into my camp. I look at the tiny rock in shock as I was positive that I was the only person on this trail that night. I immediately turned my light on and towards the area where I had seen the rock come from, but due to the density of the pines and brush, I could only see about 10 feet ahead of me. I spent the next 15 minutes in disbelief as I scanned the tree line that surrounded me searching for whatever or whoever had thrown that rock, not daring to stray away from the fire that, in hindsight, offered me a false sense of security. After sitting down and spending the rest of my time on high alert, I convinced myself that I had somehow kicked the rock or had fallen from a tree. I went to sleep that night not expecting the pure terror that would unfold. I awoke to the sound of rustling leaves, barely inaudible if you weren't listening for them, but they were there. Still in a sleepy daze, I heard the rustling of those leaves, harder to hear as I assumed they were moving away from me. I went to grab the handheld flashlight I left next to me when I fell asleep. But the more I looked, the more scared I got as I realized it was no longer there. I stood up in my sleeping bag, ducked out of my tarp, and looked around. I could see the light off in the woods. It could not have been more than 15 feet away. It was my flashlight lying on the ground in a pile of leaves. This is one of the few moments in my life where I have almost crapped myself right then and there. The flashlight I had left sitting right next to me when I fell asleep a few hours ago was now 15 feet away from me past the tree line in the woods. I hurriedly slipped on my boots, clutching my knife the entire time in my other hand and keeping my head on a swivel. I weighed my options, staying here and waiting the night out or attempting the three mile hike back to the car in the pitch dark. I figured that whatever or whoever was out here with me was going to have a better advantage on sneaking up on me if I was out on the trail without a light, so I decided to stay at the camp and wait it out. Eventually it came back and I could hear it walking through the woods. It was far off but I could listen to it just barely. It sounded like someone leisurely walking by, like they were on a stroll without a care. Sometimes it would wander too far away and I would lose the sound of its steps. But then an hour later, maybe two, it would return, still faint as ever. 
This continued for three or four hours until I listened to the steps getting closer and closer until they finally were about five to ten feet from me. The fire had been tiny as I had run out of wood in my stockpile. Finally the footsteps stopped, and everything went silent. I sat there for two hours clutching a knife in my hand and praying for two hours, taking the knife in my hand and praying that I couldn't hear anything else. I stayed like that until the sun illuminated me to see that I was alone at my campsite. I packed my things up immediately and sped walk out of there. I don't think I have ever taken down a three mile hike that fast in my life. Finally I arrived at the empty dirt road where my car was parked and nearly sprinted to it as I unlocked my Subaru, jumped in and drove. I didn't stop until I had put at least 20 miles between me and that place. I stopped at a gas station in Apache Junction to buy a Red Bull, but mostly to see and talk to another person. As I exited the store, I read what was written in the dust on the back of my window. Sleep well? Many weird things have happened to me on my various adventures through Arizona, but this is the most mysterious and, quite frankly, scariest, so I thought I'd share it. There is a seriously deranged person living in the Superstition Mountain. Do yourself a favor and stay as far away from those mountains as possible. And that's why we love the Swamp Dweller around here, going right into one of our radio areas of Apache Junction in Arizona. And hello to everyone listening in on the Rattler and the Bull. Thank you so much for tuning us on in, Len. uh, We really appreciate broadcasting down in your area. And a big thank you to Swamp Dweller as well, as he comes in to kick off hour number three each and every night here in uh, this show. Yeah, Swamp Dweller, you can find him at youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads. Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable vacation packages with exclusive nonstop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to top-rated resorts like Ryu Hotels and Resorts and plan your vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at applevacations.com today. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Adobe, Pepsi, and Home Depot, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. Listen to this insight from Stanley Druckenmiller, the greatest investor of all time. If you love what you do, first of all, your work ethic is going to be fantastic. You're just going to be better at something if you enjoy it than if you don't enjoy it. And this from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. I think you've got to balance short-term with long-term. And you've got to have a conviction that the things you're doing, your investments, your strategy, over time, you're making the right investments and right decisions for your brand and your business. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. And it'll be right there. All thousands of stories for free right there. Speaking of story time, it's a cryptid report. Here comes Super Duke. All right. 
tonight, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is here. His hair is growing ever longer, his beard ever tighter, and we love the man, the myth, and the legend from World Bigfoot Radio. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. think I'm going to grow this beard out a little bit longer now that it's winter again. Uh, the report from the Superstition Mountains, I got one of those this year via K-Man Yazi, Navajo Bigfoot researcher, who had somebody contact him from the area and say they had saw a giant, 15-foot, caveman-looking giant in the Superstition Mountains. And uh, we tried in the hardest way possible to get him on the show to talk about it, but he won't go public with that story at all, so unfortunately. And as for your guest earlier, uh, yeah, definitely get him back and uh, get some uh, conversation about the Pelagos Scrub going, because you could do a whole two-hour show on that easily. There's actually a classic, very popular folk song in Australia called There's Something in the Pelaga." which is about that subject. That's how well-known it is down there. That's like if there's a map in Australia where they have the skull and crossbones and don't go here, that's the Pilliga Scrub. <laughs> well, you know what? Hey, there's a lot of creepy stuff that is happening right now on around the world, man. And to know what's happening in places like Australia as well, my goodness, Duke. My goodness. Well, yeah, I sent you a picture of the uh, the quink in there while he was on because uh, one of my Australia contacts had a picture of this, and they had taken it down this long road. It's way off in the distance, and the, the version I sent to Dave is cropped, and it's it looks like this too skinny-looking, limbs-too-long kind of guy-shaped thing, and when you look at it, you realize that this is way off in the distance because there's rolls in the road. You can see it where there's there's dips and high points in the road and he's back behind a couple of them his feet are below it and if you follow where the rise is there right in front of his legs it could be quite a ways in front of his legs it leads to a section there's a fence running parallel to him and the fence is six feet tall and apparently the section of fence he's standing next to only comes up to not even his waist so if it is a guy it's a very 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 tall guy <laughs> whatever this thing was that's a creepy picture well, I, I I can just imagine, man. What do you got for us tonight? Because tonight is the abbreviated version. We got about ten minutes. Yes, we got exactly enough time to play it. Then, as I promised everybody on Tuesday, we've got video of Gugby reports from Northeast Alberta, and it has never appeared anywhere outside my channel. It's on MeWe. I already posted it over there to you, Dave. It's got the timestamp to queue it up. And this is the three reports that I mentioned earlier in the spring. They were sent me. Uh, by a researcher up in northeast Alberta named Sean who got these weird reports and they did not match with Bigfoot. And he didn't know what to make of them until he saw one of the shows I did on Gugglies and went, oh, that's what they're describing. So he sent me the reports and then I redid them with uh, music and sound effects in the background. And during the three reports, whenever you hear in anything in the background, um, making weird sounds, growls, grunts, roars, those were all recorded in 2013 at Dewey Lake, Michigan, by a guy who was doing research on the Dewey Lake monster, also apparently a gugwe. So you're hearing actual sounds of them in the background, too, while I'm narrating the story. Wow. Let's go for it. Hit the road, man. We're waiting for you, Duke. I got it over there on MeWe for you, Dave. I can't cue anything up over here. Oh, okay. All right, let me grab it here. 
Now, is this going to get me in any trouble with uh, the YouTube? Nope, nope. It's all fair use uh, music in the background and everything. And we're not and queue it up to where I said at the beginning because that eliminates all the beginning part of it. Okay. So there's part of it that you guys aren't going to hear because it's just music. And uh, for those of you on the watching on the video side here, you won't see it either. But if you do like the rest of it, you might want to go back and look at that because there are actual pictures of Gugly included in this thing too. Okay, bear with me. I'm just about to uh, to queue it up here and bring it onto our screen. And you said it hit about 318. And uh, let's go like, let me just pause this here for a second. And a little bit of a process in order to get it on the air with us here, but... Uh, yeah, it takes a few seconds. We might, might might miss a little bit at the end of it here. Hopefully we'll get all of it. All right. Well, hopefully we will here. Let's go like this here. World Bigfoot. This is the horror matinee version of a cryptid storytelling. All right. I'm going to mute you and mute me. All right, Sean says, I received this report via email on 9-12-98. The reporting witness gave his name as Gavin. When I first received the report, I was dubious as I knew nothing of the Gugwe creature at this time. The report goes as follows, quote, Hi, my name is Gavin. I live outside of Fort McMurray on a small acreage. About two weeks ago, I heard screaming sounds outside. I opened the back door to see if I could spot anything. On a hill behind the barn, I saw a thing that I thought was Bigfoot, but it didn't look like Bigfoot is supposed to look like. It looked like the monster from Rawhead Rex, a horror movie. It walked out of sight, still making its horrible sounds. My dog seemed to be afraid for the rest of the night. And Sean says, that was it. I searched for the movie Rawhead Rex, and the creature does somewhat resemble the images of the Gugly that I have seen online. He sent me a couple of images to share, and here we go. You can take a look at those. Okay, in this report... The location is near Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. The date, July 23rd, 2004. Time, early evening. Occurrence, vocalizations, and sighting on property. A man on a property west of the town of Rocky Mountain House reported that he began to hear roaring sounds in the forest that surrounded his property. He described it as the roar of a lion, but much, much louder so loud that he not only heard them, but he felt them as well. At first they seemed to be coming from a good distance away, but steadily became louder and louder as the maker of the sounds drew closer to his property. He said that the sounds both terrified and mesmerized him, kind of like he was having a nightmare. This made him even more fearful, as he had never experienced anything like this before. He said that he decided to go outside to see if he could spot the maker of the sounds, but before he did this, he armed himself with a rifle. He didn't specify what type or caliber it was. One thing he said is that the entire time he felt a lingering sense of dread and couldn't explain why. 
Once he was outside, he spotted a very large bipedal creature standing on just the other side of the barbed wire fence that separated his property from Crown, which is government, land. He estimated its height at 9.5 to 10 feet, but what really sent him into shock was the creature's face. His exact words were, quote, it was like somebody cut off a bear's head and plunked it onto a giant ape thing's shoulders. I've always been open to the idea of Bigfoot, but I didn't think it looked like this. This wasn't normal. It felt like it didn't belong here, or anywhere, for that matter, unquote. He didn't even consider the idea of shooting it. In fact, he said that he almost forgot that the rifle was in his hands. After looking at it for a short time, maybe 15 to 20 seconds, the creature made a, quote, grumbling, unquote, sound, and crashed back into the forest. He heard the roaring vocalization twice more. Both seemed to come from a further distance away, showing him that the creature was moving away from his property. That was the end of the initial report. We emailed back and forth a few times, Sean says, with me trying to get as many details as I could about the creature. The physical description is as follows. Nine and a half to ten foot tall. Hair color, rust red. He estimated the creature was at least five to six feet across the shoulders. The head had a definite snout or a muzzle. He saw teeth when the creature vocalized. He said that the teeth were those of a true predator. Other than that, there isn't anything else to mention. After six email exchanges, he decided that he didn't want to talk to about it anymore. He only gave me his first name, Greg, and would not disclose any other personal details. I didn't push for anything else. I did get to meet him face to face one time at Crimson Lake Provincial Park. He didn't waver once in his report. His parting comment made me believe his report even more. When we were standing there talking, he looked at his watch and said, quote, the sun is going to start setting soon. We should get out of here, unquote. I'll try to get more reports to you soon. Work has been taking a lot of time lately and have a good day, says Sean. Alberta Gugwe Report number three. Sean says, This one gave me the chills when I read it many years back. This shows outright maliciousness on the part of the creature. Location, outside Fort Nelson, British Columbia. Date, early August 1990. Reported 5-12-2001. Witness stand yearly, 47 at the time of reporting. The reporting witness said that his two German shepherds began barking crazily one day while he was outside working on an old dirt bike. Normally, he would simply tell them to shut up, but he said that he had never heard them bark like this before. He knew that something was off. He began to walk towards the rear of his property, then thought twice about it. He went inside, grabbed his deer rifle, no caliber mentioned, and then proceeded towards the area where the dogs were penned up. When he arrived, he could both see and hear something large crunching through the trees and bushes surrounding his property. Thinking from the size that it was a large bull moose, he yelled at it to get lost, fired his rifle into the air one time. Whatever it was stopped moving and growled. He said that when it growled, both dogs stopped barking like someone had, quote, unplugged, unquote, them, and remained unnaturally silent. He said that he felt the girl like someone hit him with a wet wool blanket. He was now both confused and afraid. He knew that this was not a bull moose. It wasn't a bear. It wasn't a person. 
He immediately retreated into the house. He tried to get the dogs to go with him, but they would not move. He was woken that night by the sounds of his dogs yelping and screaming outside. He armed himself, hit the switch for the sodium lights in the yard, and ran outside onto his raised balcony. Once outside, he saw a gigantic, quote, two-legged baboon, unquote, walking toward the woods carrying one of his dogs. The other was still inside the pen area. He shot at the creature three times before it disappeared into the woods, and he was not sure if he had hit it or not. He went outside to check on his remaining dog. He was alive and uninjured, totally unresponsive. He carried her inside. He called his brother once again. Within an hour, he arrived at his home. His brother said they would go out in the morning and look for the missing dog, but that they were not going nowhere out there in the dark. In the morning, they armed up and stepped out the front door to begin their search. They spent the day searching the area and found nothing. Upon their return home, they found the head of the missing dog on the front porch of the home. It wasn't there when they left in the morning. His brother told him that this means that whatever killed his dog was intelligent and may have even been in the area when they were leaving earlier in the morning. His brother stayed for the rest of the week, but nothing further occurred. His remaining dog seemed to snap out of it a few days later, but was never the same animal that she had been before. He said that the two-legged baboon turned its upper body towards him as he threw open the balcony door. He said that its features were... Wow, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. That's solid, buddy. Solid. We appreciate you coming on in. We'll be back with Dave 101. All right. There we go. Took it right into the break. Yeah, the only part we missed is where he gives a pretty detailed description of it at the very end, but that was the whole thing otherwise. Holy cow. And was... I feel so sorry for that guy with what they did to his dog and then to bring the damn head back and throw it on his porch too yet. What an asshole. Just a jerk. Just a jerk. That's okay. We were muted there for a second. That's quite okay. Quite okay. What a way to go into the break, though. Everybody's, like, busy running to the bathroom and pooping their diapers right now. Uh-huh. Hi, Stephanie Jackson. What? How are you? Oh, Duke, that would, you know, that hits close to home because I know those areas. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, for anybody that wasn't around this spring and missed it, I actually read those reports on Dave's show, and then I told him I was going to make a way better version of them for a birthday present for him for last year. So that was Dave's birthday present from last mm. year. So, of course, Dave gets to be the only channel that's showing it other than my channel. That's so I hope you all enjoyed it. Don't be too scared. Stay out of the woods. My friend, it's always a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can find World Biggie Footy radio E. Well, you can find that on YouTube and Odyssey and BitChute and Bright Eon and probably even Twitter pretty soon. So it's all over the place. And I got support groups on Facebook, Montana Bigfoot Project and World Bigfoot Radio and on the MeWe platform, World Bigfoot Central, where I have the first and second largest Bigfoot groups on the entire platform. Oh, very cool. You're all over the place, man. I'm taking over. (laughs) That's why we call you Super Duke. 
<laughs> right there. Yeah, That's why we call you Super Duke. Helping Dave every day. I'm on my way. Super Duke is on his way. Super Duke. Super Duke. Oh, yeah. It's the way we roll. Trying to keep it. Dave from getting squished by uh, obnoxious Sasquatch or hungry dogmen. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have any oh, crabby dogmen up there in your area, Dave. So Well, we do know we got some dogmen. Yeah. Hopefully not a crabby one, though. I oh. just hope you don't have any of those damn gugly things up in your area. Screw those things. So what do we got on? Uh, you damn aliens, get off my lawn! Get off tonight. my lawn! Actually, um, <laughs> I've got... Um, we're going to go back uh, on the Dave 101 to uh, the Canadian story of what's going on here regarding ufology. And I'm going to explain some really cool stuff, man. Really cool stuff of what's going on up here. And uh, the difference between what is happening here compared to what's happening in the United States. And, oh, yeah. Did you see that news story I sent you where they raided the UFO researcher? They sent the freaking FBI to leave. Give me a break. Well, you know what? Something There's something off. That's all I'm saying. There's something no off. Kidding. And it does not make sense. Well, it does, actually. I'm going to try and make sense of it. But Well, uh, I got to go so that I can get into viewing position and enjoy the show. You know, While you go. All right, you ding, suckers, cockies, get up, my lawn. Gun, you dirty <laughs> children. It's after dark. You should be inside. Ding, probe, happy saucer jockeys, get up, my lawn. Mm-hmm. All righty. Love y'all. Don't have scary dreams. <laughs> All right, Mystics Walk, thank you for coming on in. And Super Duke, we'll talk to you next week, my man. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. We love him here. We do. Get off my lawn, you saucy mutts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm thirsty. I let it drop down my chin. All right. Uh, Super Duke is really the only reason why I have MeWe. I, I find it a terrible platform. That's just me, though. Other people love it. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Round of third, we're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much 
for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate it. want to remind you that if you miss most of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Jerky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where I yell, get off my lawn to everybody who's been ranting and raving this week on me. So it's time to rant back with the Dave 101. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Adobe, Pepsi, and Home Depot, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. Listen to this insight from Stanley Druckenmiller, the greatest investor of all time. If you love what you do, First of all, your work ethic's going to be fantastic. You're just going to be better at something if you enjoy it than if you don't enjoy it. And this from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. I think you've got to balance short-term with long-term. And you've got to have a conviction that the things you're doing, your investments, your strategy, over time, you're making the right investments and right decisions for your brand and your business. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. Months and the last couple of years, our listeners, like you, have heard me ranting and raving about what is the definition of disclosure. Now, my definition is disclosure is open up the books, tell us everything, stop skating around the subject, and let's get to it. Hit me like a fine hockey body check at open ice. And let me feel the news. I want to feel it. I want to see it. I want to touch it. I want to smell it. I want to taste it. Get to it. And over the last year or so, I've been telling you, there is no such thing as disclosure. What we are seeing is a movement of confirmation to the study of UFOs in the United States. Way too many games being played in Washington, D.C., whether it's the politicians, 
whether it's the military or whether it's the alphabet agencies who for some reason want to keep the UFO subject under wraps. But we may have a hero in this. And not all heroes wear capes. Yet, maybe he does. Back on July 2nd of this year, we had Member of Parliament for Brandon Sewers up here in Canada, Mr. Larry McGuire, come on to talk about UFOs. He has taken a keen interest over the last number of years in trying to figure out whether or not unidentified aerial phenomena have been flying in Canada. And what were the severities of that? Well, over time, Mr. McGuire has brought this conversation to numerous other people in Ottawa. Yeah, he's talked to and convinced many other members of Parliament that this is a subject that the Canadian government needs to start taking seriously. And guess what? They are listening. Now, in Canada, we don't like to pat our own backs on anything, unless it has to do with our favorite hockey players or Team Canada during the Olympics. The rest of the time, well, we just don't care. We just don't care at all. But that being said, Canada has a very proud history over the last 70 years regarding UFO studies. From Wilbert Smith and Project Grudge right through to Grant Cameron of today, there has been thousands of sightings that have gone on across this country. And now that Ottawa is starting to take this seriously, the other day, that conversation turned to Twitter. And I think that it really opened the eyes to a number of people. It started with Larry McGuire posting on Twitter a letter that he has received from a politician, or pardon me, from Canada's chief scientists. And we're going to get into this letter because it started a heated discussion between McGuire and Michelle Rempel-Garner, another conservative MP, who is very interested in the UFO talk. Now, I want to read this letter that McGuire received from Canada's top scientist, Dr. Mona Niemer. This is very important. Now, the first couple paragraphs are fluff, but let's get to this. The work plan for the next two years of my mandate could be seen by some as very ambitious, but I count my lucky stars to be able to rely on a small team of dedicated and brilliant employees who help deliver on com uh, commitments, which keeping abreast of emerging scientific topics. In fact, my team has kept me informed of the recent initiatives in the U.S. on UAPs, including the Galileo Project at Harvard University, the NASA UAP study, and the Pentagon's All-Domain Resolution Office. My team intends to monitor the next steps in each of these initiatives. She goes on to say, In the meantime, and in anticipation of requests from our U.S. counterparts, 
my office will be contacting the relevant departments to inquire about UAP reporting and data gathering processes in Canada. Please accept, Mr. McGuire, my appreciation for having taken the time to draw my attention to a potential topic of study for my office. And of course, I would welcome any additional information you deem valuable. Why is this important? Oh, old Davy's going to tell you. While the American government is cloaked in secrecy regarding UFOs and the videos and everything that they have, where they don't want you and me to know about what is happening with unidentified aerial phenomena. Up here in Canada, it's a little different. See, in the United States, the one thing that we have learned is military threats create budgets. Not ones that start with T, not ones that start with M, but start with B, billions, eventually working to trillions. Yes, the biggest military in the world spends more money than the next 27 countries combined, 26 of which are allies, including Canada. Think about that. Threat narratives create funding. And UFOs, as we know, are a threat narrative south of the border. However, up here in Canada, Mr. McGuire, along with other MPs behind the scenes, have been pushing a scientific narrative. Why? Well, as of today, from information that I have learned, the Canadian government and the Canadian Department of National Defense does not, I repeat, does not at this time in their investigation see UFOs as a threat to Canadian safety. So what does this mean? Well, this means that the United States and their threat narrative is not working with our closest ally in Canada. Now, does that make a difference? Sure it does. Absolutely it does. Why? Well, that's because Canada and many other countries in the world are not defense-specific. We wait to see the outcome before we think of a possible outcome. So far, it's done us pretty well. And kudos to the members of Parliament who have been pushing this subject of getting this in front of the scientific community in Canada. The importance of getting it in front of the scientific community is because when it is in their hands, it's there in the public hands. The findings stay public. Canada has an opportunity right now, sorry, my American friends, to be a leader in disclosure. Why? 
because of the scientific method of trying to find out what are these craft, where are they coming from, where are they going, where are they checking things out in Canada. We know they are being sighted over Canadian nuclear power facilities. We know as of recently, thank you to intrepid journalist Daniel Otis, that recently there have been five encounters with CF-18 Hornets in trying to intercept these craft across the country. Now, I believe that number is more, but that's what we know for right now. The U.S. has something to hide. Why do they have something to hide? I think it's because they already know. They already know that there's contact. They already know that there is alien craft coming in. They may have crash retrievals. They may have bodies. And they may have had live species of aliens. That is what I believe. And nothing will change my mind. Whereas up here in Canada, we do know there have been a couple of crashes. We do know of Shag Harbor in 1967. We do know a few years ago, it looked like a UFO, which was reported to have crashed into a a lake in northern Manitoba, sparked the military to rush in and try and grab it. The military covered it up at that point with saying it was a training mission in minus 35, minus 40 degrees Celsius weather. I highly doubt that. But the point is this. If you want answers, you have to keep things public. Right now, which was also broken by Daniel Otis, we know that the government of Canada, which is the sitting Liberal Party with Justin Trudeau at the helm, had been read in back in February by members of the UAPTF. Now, the way Canadian politics works is the governing party does not have to bring that to the other parties. The governing party is the one in control. They don't have to say anything they don't want. But the fact that it's been leaked out, and we now know that Trudeau and his cronies have been read in, is point for conversation in what we call question period in the House of Commons. Hopefully, the Conservative Party, the NDP, the Bloc Québécois, or the Sunshine and Rainbows Green Party can actually learn and discuss this on the floor of the commons. We will see if that happens, which I believe will be happening sooner rather than later. But my American friends, while we discover whether or not it is disclosure or confirmation, the Canadians are the ones now pushing disclosure. And the more we could keep this scientific, the more we can keep this open to the public. That is what is going to lead us to many, many answers. Hey, our American counterparts may not like it. They may throw some NORAD crap at us or some military defense crap at us to shut us up. But right now, Canada is the best that we have in ufology to try and get straight answers. There are no narratives being pushed. We don't have NASA playing stupid with the public. We don't have the United States Navy trying to take their videos and going home 
we don't have government pushing squamp gas questions. Okay, what we have is true questions that are going to be asked, and Canada's top scientist, Dr. Niemer, looking into it. We do know this. In Canada, there are about 14 to 20 agencies that have been researching UFOs. What they've done with those files is little to none, if we can believe that. Remember, we do have to have a a various look at skepticism here. And if they haven't been doing anything of it, this opens up the idea that Canada may soon form its own UAP task force once the Liberal Party gets off their butts and Justin Trudeau isn't ripped a new one by Chinese government officials. Yes, this is about to open up. It could open up the right way, and very quickly, Canada could take the lead in the disclosure movement, all because they want the public to have the answers that they deserve. Pay attention to it, people. The narrative is real south of the border. We have discussed that many a time. Sometimes you got to look north. It's not just snow, Eskimos, Tim Hortons, coffee, and hockey around here. No, we couldn't be the next point of major disclosure. And kudos to Larry McGuire, Michelle Rempel, Raquel Dancho, and many other members of Parliament who are taking this story very seriously. That is your Dave 101. And if you could, if you're on our YouTube channel, do me a favor, leave a comment below. Let me know what you think. And let me know if you think Canada has a chance at being a leader in disclosure. That is a big one where we're going to go next. Well, it's time for Shirky Poo's News. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's News. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. What's the Shirky Poo got for us tonight? Let's take a little look here. All right. Let's start off. Here, all right. Yeah, a Chinese man has gone viral after running a marathon in a more respectable time while chain-smoking his way through a pack of cigarettes. Obviously, we're not condoning this because smoking is kind of bad for you. And if you're a runner, then you certainly know how much pressure it puts on your lungs. Well, either way, this man rattling his way through a pack of cigarettes and the Guangzhou Marathon are quite compelling. Uh, We know very little about the man, except his number was A1158, and there he was, puffing away like a steam train rolling down the tracks. He ended up finishing the 26.2-mile course in just three hours at 28 minutes, which is a pretty respectable time, good enough for 574th place, and nobody uh, said whether or not he got a, a smoking contract from one of the cigarette companies after that. All of the pundits making their predictions for how England will do at soccer's World Cup could move over, not just because it's going to be a it's a World Cup. Should we really be paying attention? Well, apparently a psychic alpaca is. Psychic alpaca. You heard me correct. Alfie the alpaca has made his prediction by choosing to eat from different troughs 
which secretly bore the flags of teams in England's World Cup group. Described by one of the uh, one of the smarter and more responsive alpacas, the staff at the Fairytale Farm in Southcombe wondered who better than Alfie to figure out how things would go in Group B. Overall, it's pretty good news for England, even if Alfie reckons the three Lions will actually lose their opening game of the tournament to Iran. The supposedly psychic alpaca, pardon me, believes that despite an early defeat, England will get out of the group stages and manage to beat the U.S. and Wales. England has been looking for their first World Cup in 64 years. How about switching to hockey? Much better game, my opinion. All right. Strange one here. A mother and daughter were out fishing on the Mississippi River, and they were left terrified after coming up close to a huge creature with massive bear-like claws. Shayla Holm and her daughter Avery were fishing uh, near Brainerd in Minnesota when they heard something breathing and suddenly spotted a set of giant claws lurking beneath their kayak. But before you panic and think that we finally got proof of some cryptid water monster, the animal has since been identified as a very large snapping turtle. Shayla said, suddenly my daughter said, Mom, be quiet. I hear something breathing. Took a while before we saw the nose of the turtle swimming towards the kayak. As it got closer, we saw how big it was. He dove under the kayak and latched himself onto the fishing basket with his nails. We were so freaked out about its size. This one was particularly big, about 29 inches across. The 67-year-old added people asked if I was afraid. I must admit I was at the time, which is kind of silly, because I am bigger than he was and hopefully smarter. Finally tonight, here's a cool one. <clears throat> Excuse me. An airline pilot and a California airport crew worked together to reunite a passenger with a phone left behind at the gate, and the window-reaching scene was caught on camera. Southwest Airlines posted a video to their Facebook page showing the captain of the flight hanging out of the cockpit window to retrieve the phone being passed to him by the jumping ground crew working at Long Beach Airport. The airline explained that the phone had been found at the gate after the plane had finished boarding and left the gate in preparation for takeoff. The great crew passed the phone to the ground crew, which then was able to pass the phone to the pilot and then reunite the phone with its owner. That is taking the extra step indeed. Thank you to everybody tuning in to Shirky Poo's News. Thank you for listening into the Thought of the Dave. And what else do we have here? Make that Dave 101. Not the Thought of the Dave anymore. Dave 101. Thank you to Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio and Attila Caldi for coming on in, breaking down what it's like to check out the Yowie in Australia. What a great night of radio, and we're glad you all got to participate in it as well. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brothers watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio, rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Thanks to everybody listening in, at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight on YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club. And on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. I know you're out there somewhere.
Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for tuning us in and sharing your night with us. Because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night, Mr. Bumblefoot. We need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friend, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. Meet the One for All card. Perfect for Aunt Edith, your dog walker, and even what's-his-name. With over 100 great brands and no fees, it's the one gift for all. Available in stores and at giftcards.com. Dan, so glad we were able to meet today. Thanks for coming over. Whoa, what's that? Pretty awesome, right? It's my new FlexiSpot E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Goes from sitting to standing with the push of a button. You know, I've been thinking about getting a desk like that. I have back pain from being in a chair all day, but I feel like they're either cheap and flimsy or crazy expensive. That's why I went with FlexiSpot. This desk is super sturdy, but totally affordable. The base is made of automotive-grade carbon steel. Sit on it. Okay. Hey, this is cool. All right, I want in on one of these. Where do I find FlexiSpot? Just go to their website, FlexiSpot.com. And go right now because they're giving an extra $80 off their already low prices. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF to get an extra $80 off the E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Backed by an industry-leading 15-year warranty. Don't wait. This special offer will not last long. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF. That's F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T.com. Go to FlexiSpot.com now.